Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. To Thomas, they score! Bring out the Zamboni! Overtime win! And we've got a playoff race for second in the Central. Hey, alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex won the argument today. What does that mean? We always come in and we ask, what are we going to talk about to open things up? Boys, today we are opening up with the Blues. Hey, sp- oh, man. That was a huge win. Friday night specifically. Saturday night, we'll talk about that as well. Blues are now 8-0-1 against the Wilds in their last nine games against them. They have outscored Minnesota, Alex, 29-10 in that stretch. And now if you're just looking at the Craig Berube era here in St. Louis, I feel like Minnesota's got to hate that guy. (laughs) 12-1-2 overall are the Blues against Minnesota since Craig Berube took over as the head coach of the Blues. You came in today, Alex, and I I was wondering if we were going to get this. I figured we might. All you had to say was... The Blues are Stanley Cup contenders again, guys. What did you think of that win over the weekend? The wins over the weekend. It warms your heart, doesn't it? No, I mean, it's hard for me. And, you know, save your text on the Air Comfort Service text on 6578. Of course you're going to think this. You're a rights holder. Look, after watching that team sweep the homestand, play really well on that Western Canada road trip, which are never easy to do. I mean, you're talking about points in eight straight games. That has not happened this season. They've had two separate times before they went to eight straight games. So three times total this season where they've gotten points in seven straight. They've never been able to accomplish that eighth. They did that Saturday night against the New York Islanders. And for me, it's kind of broken down in three categories as to why I think this team should be considered a Stanley Cup contender. The offense has just been as dominant all season long as they've needed to be. That's now four or more goals scored in eight straight games, if I'm not mistaken. You've got multiple guys who are 60-point scorers this season, multiple guys who are 20-goal scorers this season. Now your damn defenseman's nearly at 15 goals this year. The offense, if you look at the teams in the Western Conference, Colorado, Calgary, teams that everyone's saying, oh, these are Stanley Cup contenders. The Blues offenses are just as good, if not better, than those teams. Second area is defense. 
I talked about this with Jamie Rivers on pregame Saturday, and I asked him, who's the number one defenseman on this Blues team? I'll ask you guys, who's the number one defenseman on this Blues team right now? I, so I'm not being wishy-washy because it's a bad thing, which is a, a positive in and of itself. Earlier this season, I would have said Justin Falk, and there's no question about it. I think we're watching Colton Pareko play some of the best hockey that we've seen from him in a Blues uniform. So that's why I am kind of going back and forth in my own head. I would still say Justin Falk, but I think it's pretty close between he and Colton Pareko right now. And that's my point with that. You have two guys that are playing as number one defenseman right now, on top of the fact that you're still playing without one of your better defensemen all season and Tory Krug. So you put that on top of as great as this offense has been, and then you get into the goaltending conversation. So if I'm going to hear the argument from people saying, oh, Colorado's a Stanley Cup contender, they're going to win the cup. The Blues should be in that category with Colorado, with Calgary, at least in the Western Conference, especially after watching what they did in their last eight games. I don't know how anybody could be down on the Blues right now. Actually, in fact, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show if you are still skeptical of this team. In this eight-game stretch, I understand that there are a few of them that did not come against contenders. Vancouver, Arizona, Seattle, those are not games that we're going to point back to and say, hey, the Blues are going to succeed in the playoffs because they did it against these teams. But Edmonton, Calgary, Minnesota, the Islanders, who had given the Blues trouble at times earlier this season and had been playing very, very well of late, yeah, those are the kinds of games that we wanted to see the Blues be able to step up in, especially Minnesota, who they're very likely going to see in the first round of the playoffs. Man, over this eight-game stretch, you look at it, they're scoring 4.75 goals per game. They're allowing 2.5 goals per game. Those are both right around top five. They're seventh right now in goals allowed per game. They're third in the league in goals four per game in this stretch. And their penalty kill has been outstanding. Do you know they have killed off every penalty so far in this eight-game stretch? Would you do that because, by the way, they're not being asked to do it a whole lot. I think the most that they've had in any individual game is two penalties yeah. that they've had to kill off. I think that's nine straight games that they've done that. And they're they're playing at five-on-five five the vast majority so far this year, when you look at what they've done at five on five, they've been outstanding. They've been one of the five best offenses in the league at five on five. Their problem has been taking too many penalties and then having to go on the PK. You get worn down and you don't look like the same team in the second, third period. As a result of that, what they're doing right now from start to finish in most of these games is basically exactly what you need to see from them if they're going to have success once you get into the playoffs. Yeah, well, and to the people's argument of, well, Vancouver wasn't a playoff team and the Islanders aren't a playoff team. Look, Vancouver, at the time that the Blues played them, they were four points out of a playoff spot. If you don't think that team is more dangerous than taking on a team like Minnesota, I mean, unfortunately, yes, Minnesota's a dangerous team, but a team that's fighting for their playoff lives, they're just as dangerous. So you And you beat those teams easily in both of those. And then the Islanders, as the Islanders, when the Blues played them on Saturday, they had 15 wins in their last 19 games. The only team that had more wins than them in that stretch were the Florida Panthers. And they beat you up the last time you played against them. So those are two teams that you beat. Yes, Arizona's, they're not good. Seattle, not a good team. But we've seen how tough those teams truly are. And then you add in the fact of Calgary and Edmonton and then what you did against the Minnesota Wild. It's just hard for me to sit here and hear the argument that Colorado is a Stanley Cup contending team and not hear the argument with the Blues. I'm done with the all. Well, they can make some noise in the playoffs if they get in or they could play spoilers against some teams. No, 
if I'm gonna if I'm going to look at all of these teams and talk about how dominant the offense is for Colorado or how Markstrom has played with the Calgary Flames, you know what the difference is? Blues got just as much experience, if not more, than Calgary and Colorado when it comes to this time of the year. So it's interesting because I actually still have them a peg below both Calgary and Colorado. Well, that's because you don't like the Blues. I, I think it is fair to Tanner. differentiate between those three teams. I think I would have it Calgary, Colorado at the top of my list. I think you, I could listen to the argument that Colorado should be the one and then Calgary two. I've got them kind of one A, one B personally. And then I've got the Blues three in the Western Conference right now. And that in and of itself is all I needed. I just needed them to clearly become that third team because there was a time not all that long ago, what, three weeks ago now probably, where it was in question as to whether or not the Blues were that third team or if they were closer to like the fifth team in the Western Conference because of the way that they themselves had been playing. But now you see what Ville Husso has done, what appears to be regaining form. Jordan Bennington stealing them some points on Saturday. He looked great. Yeah. Full credit, man. That was... I've basically been out on Jordan Bennington, and honestly, I think the Blues kind of are too, other than when they have to play him on back-to-backs. Full kudos to him. He was outstanding on Saturday. That's the kind of performance they needed out of him. But if they continue getting this out of Villejuso, the defense keeps playing the way that it has, where, yes, there are going to be moments where it looks bad. That's just the reality of the way this team plays. They're going to give up some shots right in front of the net. But with the depth of this offense, and now the defensemen continuously getting in on the scoring as well, Man, there's a million different reasons as to why I am back in on them as a legitimate contender, even if I do still have them third in the West. I know there's something about the back end, though, that you wanted to point out, Alex, that you brought to my attention and honestly it did surprise me a little bit. Yeah, so and this was something that Curves brought up on postgame that we were discussing Saturday night, and it, it really was something that originally I didn't think about, but then the more it, it, it sat there, I'm like, damn, I don't know if people really take this into consideration. The Blues have a, a when Tory Krug returns, they got a group that has experience at this time of the year. And what was the one thing that we were all asking for at the trade deadline? Well, you got to go get a guy who's got experience in the regular season and postseason play. Get a guy like Justin Braun, who's played 121 games in the playoffs, or a Jacob Middleton, who's got some success in the playoffs. Guys, the Blues did that with Nick Letty. He had a goal, by the way. He had a goal, by the way. You know he's got points in five straight. He hasn't done that since the New York Islanders. Middleton? No, not Middleton. I'm I was talking, talking about Middleton. No, I'm talking about Nick Letty. Middleton gave Middleton. and then he took right no. away. Then Middleton got dipsy doodled <laughs> by a couple of uh, Blues forwards there. But no, I'm talking about Nick Letty. Nick Letty's got points in five straight, which hasn't happened since February of 2020 when he was with the Islanders. So that's pretty impressive. But the Blues got veteran experience on the back end. When Tori Krug returns, I think we all can agree. Marco Scandellas played really well. Yep. He's going to be the sixth guy that I think plays in the playoffs if they were to start today and Tori Krug returns. So if your six defensemen are Pareko, Letty, Scandella, Falk, Krug, and Bortuzzo, that group has played 3,882 games combined in the National Hockey League, and they played 393 games in the playoffs. You know how many games the Blues defensive group played in the playoffs in terms of career numbers when they won the Stanley Cup? And I'm combining all seven of these guys, by the way. Vince Dunn, Bortuzzo, Edmondson, Gunnarsson, Pareko, Petro, Bomeister, that group. Played 299 games in the National Hockey League in the playoffs. So as much as the defense does still need to tighten things up, and they can be a problem, but that's where your goaltender needs to come up big for you when they have that. You're probably going into the playoffs 
best with one of the most experienced group of players on the blue line in playoff hockey. Nick Letty's won a Stanley Cup. You got Colton Pareko, who's won the Stanley Cup, along with Robert Bortuzzo. What about Justin Falk? He's never done it. Justin Falk, he won a... What'd they get to? They got to the second round, third round, I think, that year that, well, he was on a bad Carolina Hurricanes mm-hmm. team. But what about Tory Krug? Tory Krug's gotten the Stanley Cup final did multiple times. It? No, he did not because our Damn. St. Louis Blues knocked them out of the playoffs. What, uh, I don't know if this is going to come through because I know some people say, wow, well, experience doesn't matter in the playoffs. You got to play well no matter what. It's Tanner's thought. It's Tanner's thought, exactly. Whoa. Colorado doesn't have guys who have experience in the playoffs. Calgary doesn't have a lot of guys who have experience in the playoffs. You want to have guys who know how to turn their game on into the next level when they have to. That's a group that has 393 games played in postseason action. So I am less, I I put less of an emphasis on the playoff experience than I know some do. I don't put zero emphasis on it, though. I do think it matters. I'm just not going to say that the Blues, like the reason why I'm going to take them over Calgary or Colorado, for example, is because of the experience in the playoffs. I'm going to take the better team most of the time. And especially when you've got a team that has played in the playoffs, and I understand Colorado hasn't advanced to the Stanley Cup final. They've played plenty of playoff uh, games with this specific core that I'm not super worried about them as a result of that. But the Blues having more experience cannot be considered to be a bad thing. And this is it is interesting when you compare it to that the experience of the cup winning team back in 2019, especially on the blue line, uh, just how many playoff games this group has played in comparison. I do want to hear from you guys on the text line. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service text line. If you're in on this Blues team now and you weren't prior to this eight game streak, What is it about what you're watching that has got you there? For Alex, maybe it is the blue line. For me, it's the scoring. They're back to being that legitimate threat offensively on every possession. Robert Thomas looks like a different player right now. You're watching Ivan Barbashev recapture his form. Vladimir Tarasenko has become a playmaker once again. Ryan O'Reilly looks like himself. They, by the way, were able to shut down that top line for Minnesota on Friday night. That was a big part of that. I was curious how they were going to match up with it. It was the O'Reilly line Mm -hmm. that ended up doing it. So you're getting Braden Shin looks like himself again. My my God, that play that he made. Um, you're getting the depth of scoring that they had when they were at their peak. That's what's done it for me. What's done it for you? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to some of that throughout the day today. We're going to be joined by Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for The Athletic, coming up at 1130. But coming up next, we are getting into the Cardinals because Nolan Arenado looks completely locked in. Is Alex's prediction of an MVP going to come true this year? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The 1-0. Pull left side. Fair inside the third baseline. Off the sidewall. One run is in. O'Neal on his way to third. Arenado in safely at second. And we are tied. The 2-2. Arenado down the left field line. It is gone. His second home run in 22. He jumped on it. A line shot. The Cardinals are rolling. Nolan Arenado looks as locked in at the plate as we've seen him in his brief Cardinals career thus far. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Nolan Arenado started the season with multiple RBIs in each of the first three games of the year. He's the first Cardinals hitter to do that 
since Big Mac in 1998. In fact, this goes back even further. They are the only two Cardinals players to start a season with multiple RBI in three straight games ever in a Cardinals uniform. It's Big Mac and Nolan Arenado. Those are the only two that have done it. And if you're looking at what he's done so far this year, six for 12, three doubles, two home runs, seven RBI in the first three games of the season. Alex, this is what we were all hoping it would look like offensively. And Tanner said with Tyler O'Neill, that ballpark can't hold back that man. The ballpark doesn't appear to be holding back Nolan Arnato right now either. Sorry, I got really excited there for a minute. T-Bone and I locked eyes because it's kind of awkward. There it for a was minute really too. uncomfortable. You know, the other number that I like about this, he's only got two strikeouts so far. And I, I get it early, but I mean, that means any got to walk as well. So, I mean, he's seeing the pitches very well. I bought into Nolan Arenado in the offseason. I didn't. It wasn't the same as the Paul DeYoung thing because I knew Nolan Arenado was going to back up what he was saying. But he basically said that he felt more comfortable this season and that he felt like he learned last year how to hit at Bush Stadium. And you're seeing it right there. Maybe you don't get multiple home runs all of the time, but three doubles on top of two home runs, like the power's there for Nolan Arenado. He's making contact. I don't know what the hard hit rate is. As BK, I can look it up for you. I would love for you to look it up for me, but I would imagine every ball that he has been hitting has been over 100 miles an hour because this guy is locked in. I don't know if he's going to have some of those MVP votes taken away from guys like Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt because they both have been playing very well early on. It's good. Is it really good? It's very good. Hit me with it. Uh, He's in the 81 percentile so far on average exit velocity, 90 percentile on max exit velocity. He's hitting the ball very hard. Oh, my God, T-Bone. M-V-P. That's how you spell Nolan Arenado's name right now. Oh, really? That's how you do it? That's how you do it. I know you love the expected numbers, Alex. What's his peak zip? His expected slugging percentage so far this year is 925. (laughs) Good God, man. (laughs) That's incredible. So everything that you're watching, this is not fluky. He is is hitting the ball as hard and is expecting to get these kinds of results. But I really think he's benefiting from the guys around him right now. I mean, knowing that you cannot, you, you cannot get around one guy when it comes to one through four in the lineup is beneficial for Nolan Arenado because you already have to worry. By the time you get to Arenado, you've already had to worry about Carlson, O'Neal, and Paul Goldschmidt. That's the MV3 effect. Now, I don't know if it's going to continue on. I understand it's the Pirates, but Nolan Arenado looks locked in right now, and I hope this continues for him. Yeah, he looks locked in, and to me it almost looks like he's... You can already see the adjustment of learning to hit here in St. Louis. We talked a lot about that when we did him. I think it was Thursday when we talked about him as a top 20 most important Cardinals. And, you know, when I look at him so far this year, I feel like he's making more solid contact. He's not under the ball as much. And the advanced uh, analytics show that. If you look at it, he's under percent of balls 20% of the time. Last year, he was up to 36% of the time. So he's already learned that, okay, I can't get under the ball as much, unlike in Colorado where the ball is going to carry. It's actually going to hold things up here at Bush Stadium. And you can already tell that's the adjustment that he's made and, and he looks locked in and I I don't think this is a fluke now I don't think he's going to have the expected slugging percentage over like 925 or whatever that number was that you said but I do think he's going to have a very good year and you're going to continue to see him trend in the right direction and as the weather warms up expect the numbers to even blossom even more yeah and I, I think that you guys are right in talking about what's around him and how important that is for Nolan Arenado's success he had a quote to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch over the weekend that I found to be really interesting. He said, quote, I want to hit for a high average, definitely, but I would rather drive in 100 RBI than hit for a higher average. That's not for everybody, but that is for me. I feel like that's what I need to do. That's what I was brought here to do, end quote. 
Nolan Arnato is a run producer. And if you're looking at the guys that are hitting in front of him right now, Paul Goldschmidt hasn't actually hit for all that much power just yet. Now, he's hitting the ball hard, and those results will eventually come. I am not in any way, shape, or form worried about a guy that started the year three for nine with five double, or excuse me, with five walks and two strikeouts. Paul Goldschmidt looks outstanding, and that's exactly the role that I want him to fill as that two-hole hitter right now. Tyler O'Neill is hitting the ball really hard. Now, has he been a guy that is consistently getting on base? No, not yet. He will. I'm not worried in any way, shape, or form, but he's hitting the ball incredibly hard, and he already has six RBI through the first three games of the season. That's what you want out of your three-hole hitter. The guy that's maybe impressed me the most, though, is Dylan Carlson in the way that he has adjusted to being a leadoff hitter so far. He's four for ten, two doubles, two RBI, three strikeouts, and a walk. Man, this is what the one through four was supposed to look like for the Cardinals. You mentioned the MV3. Man, they, they had that last year. They had Goldie, <laughs> O'Neill, and Arenado going at a lot, especially down the stretch, and we saw how good that could be. When Dylan Carlson gets going, though, as your leadoff hitter, this is a guy that somebody mentioned this to me over the weekend, and I kind of scoffed at it at first, and then I thought about it a little more. I was like, you know, maybe that it could be true. Was it a Lance Berkman comp? No. Because you do that to me a lot. He could lead the league in runs this year, runs scored, because if he's getting on base regular, regularly with the way that they're going to have to pitch to him and also his speed on the base paths, he's a guy that could score a crazy amount of runs this season being in front of Goldie, O'Neill, and Arenado. So if you get all four of those guys going and it can be consistently like it was this weekend, man, this offense has the potential to be really special. I think Thursday is a perfect example of what this offense looks like at best case scenario. Dylan Carlson gets on base immediately with a double, whether it's a single or a double, and then you're talking about two batters, you already got a run scored for the speed of Dylan Carlson. And that's the potential that this offense has. And BK, you've brought up in the past, five, six, seven is going to be a very impactful middle of the order position for this Cardinals team. We know what one through four is going to look like. It's dominant right now. They got to figure out things with their DH because I haven't been that impressed with Pujols, Dickerson, and I think Lars Newpar is going to get the shot later on today if they play. That's the expectation. So that is something that we do need to get to. The good is the one through four in the order. And honestly, the bottom bottom portion of the order has been pretty good as well with the eight, nine hitters so far. Uh, the problem's been that really specifically the five hole. And that's been where your DH has hit so far. The Cardinals designated hitters are a combined one for 13 so far through three games. That one hit was a single. They do have a one RBI. That was Corey Dickerson. I believe it was on Saturday. They have yet to take a walk in the first three games of the season. I want to say this on the front end. I'm not panicking in any way, shape, or form. As Tony LaRusso once said, it's the first week of the season. And we are going to get through the first month before I really start panicking, honestly, about anything relating to this Cardinals team, but especially the designated hitters who so far Dickerson's had two games and Pools has had one. And he actually looked pretty good at the plate, despite not having the results there for him. I will say this, though, I find it interesting that they're potentially going to um, Lars Newbar later on today. And I find it interesting that they have yet to use Albert Pujols off of the bench on Saturday or Sunday. I thought that they might go to him yesterday against Crow. They decided not to do that. Russell? <laughs> Will, with one L. I, I'm That's not weird. worried it's about weird. this. <laughs> I just find it to be something that we should continue watching, especially given how much we all said before the season that 5-6 hole spot, that's going to be where you get to, okay, can the Cardinals be a top 5-6 to six offense in the National League, or can they be like a top 3 offense in the National League? That's where that 5-6 to six hole comes it, in. The problem is you just don't want a momentum killer. And if you got 1-4 through four doing what they've been doing so far and just mashing balls, 
it's really going to come down to keeping that offense rolling. And right now, Paul DeYoung, I don't know where you guys are at, and we might get into this a little bit later. Paul DeYoung has not looked awful. I think he looks pretty good, actually. So I'm fine with that. Yachty, it's expected with Yachty. But that five-hole spot with the DH, it just has been a momentum shifter for me. And if you can keep that going, and I know these whoever's going to be hitting there is going to get hot at some point because it is three games in. But you've got to keep that rolling so it's not an instant one, two, three out, and you can continue to roll things with your bottom of the order. Yeah, I, I don't read too much into the DH yet because also don't forget Albert and Corey Dickerson both had a late entrance into spring training because they were signed bef- after the lockout. So maybe that's just a little bit of a timing issue, but I agree. Pools look really good on the home opener. He's hitting the ball very hard. And the other thing in terms of turning to Lars Newport today, I think it's just one of those things where it's, we got to get them at bats. The three outfielders are playing really well. Agreed. Let's not take them off their feet and just go and have them just get at bats. Let's just stick Lars Newport in there, get them a couple ABs today. Today might be one of those days where maybe you see Albert pinch hit at some point for Lars Newbar. T-Bar, do you text us in? Let pitchers hit. They could go one for 13. For hey, what it's worth. That's true. Have you guys seen the numbers for the designated hitter around the league so far this year? If it's worse than pitchers, we're going to have a serious problem. Kyle it's Schwarber's not good. looked good. It's not good. Designated hitters across Major League Baseball this year are hitting a combined 185. Their oh, on-base percentage is pitchers 250. Their OPS <laughs> is 560 so far this year. So it's not just the Cardinals that are struggling in this respect. It's really all of the designated hitters around the league. They are not getting off to a hot start, to say the least. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for the Athletic. She's been at the at Bush Stadium all weekend long. What'd she make of the Cardinals' first series of the year as they continue to finish that one up later on today? We'll talk to Katie Wu live from Bush Stadium next on 101. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend, the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She's Katie Wu joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Katie, we appreciate the time. As always, it looks like you're not going to have a game that you've got to be covering today. How are you doing out there at Bush Stadium? What's up, guys? Yeah, no game today. Um, that's all right, though. They'll make it up as part of a split doubleheader, as our Tanner just said. Um, but, yeah, things are great. Excited to be back with you all for another season and, and just really to get this season rolling. I love opening day. I love the celebration, the all the – just the big hoopla that comes with another season starting. But for me, I really enjoy when the first series is done with because then you can really, like, settle in, establish a routine, and get ready for this, you know – 162 potentially more game season. All right, Katie. Well, the first series is officially done now with this game being postponed. So what's the extra day look like? Are you going to find yourself at poolside sooner or later? <laughs> um, I'm probably going to take a nap. Uh, let's, let's be honest. Uh, but then, uh, you know, there, there will be some, some writing done. To my boss is going to yell at me. <laughs> That's not it. Okay, well, we'll make sure we clip that off and send it to your bosses so they know. Otherwise, just enjoy that nap today, Katie. Katie, what's been your Thank biggest you. takeaway thus far from the Cardinals? I know we're three games in. Nobody's going to take away something that, like, over the next one six or one fifty nine, we're going to be wow, able to take great away. Both. Math. What did great you think math. of the first three games that the Cardinals have played thus far? BK, you must be a mind reader because my headline is really legitimately four takeaways from the Cardinals' first series. Um, so I, and I already started writing number one, and for me, it's, it's the offense. I thought Nolan Arnato had a really good uh, quote on opening day where he said that he thinks the lineup is very deep, but there's not going to be a lot of people that, that are going to be 
eager to accept that because they weren't that great last year. So the offense knows that they're going to go out there and have to prove something. Um, but I was impressed with the batting structure with how the lineup pulled it out. I think Dylan Carlson, the leadoff spot, can do some damage there. This lineup gets so much more longer if you have a healthy Paul DeYoung or an efficient Paul DeYoung. And we saw some really encouraging signs from Paulie here uh, going the opposite way, flexing some oppo power at Bush Stadium. That's hard to do. And what I really like about this lineup that I think we're probably not talking about enough is how Ollie Marmel has stacked Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmond, two really fast guys in the eight and nine spots that when Dylan comes back up again, He's going to have some people on base. He's going to have some, some lethal weapons on the base pass to drive some runners in. So for me, I really like the lineup construction so far. How impactful is that going to be, Katie, for, for guys like Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado? I mean, we just got finished talking about how Nolan Arenado is looking like an MVP candidate already early in the season. But, I mean, you could potentially have two more of those guys if, if we're talking about Bader, Edmund, and Carlson getting on base. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, you're ta- when talking to Cardinals pitchers, they've even said, you know, if you have someone like Harrison who is super fast, he gets on base, Tommy Edmond is very speedy, and then you have to face Dylan Carlson, Paul Goldschmidt, Tyler Neal, Nolan Arnato, you're already frazzled because you're worried about the traffic on the base path. You're worried about the guys that are going to run. We know the Cardinals run the base very efficiently. They're a very strong, fundamentally sound team in that regard. And then you have guys, you have the, the proven bats and Goldschmidt and Arnato. You have the up-and-comers and Carlson and Tyler uh, O'Neill. Um, it's it's a very long lineup, and I know that there hasn't been a lot of DH production. I know it's only been three games, um, so we won't start a narrative on that just yet. Um, but again, it goes back to if you have a, a an efficient Paul DeYoung who's seen the ball well, that really makes this lineup a legitimate threat one through nine. So I think if if you are looking for a, a perfect lineup, you probably want to see a little bit more production out of the designated hitter role. Um, we'll see how that how that fares over the next couple of weeks, but. If Arenado can keep this up because he looks really locked in right now and Paul DeYoung can keep it up, I really like the length of this lineup. We're talking to Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Katie, we were both out there for, if, if the offense is the good, the bad, unfortunately, which was Steven Matz. He was cruising through two innings. He looked outstanding. He was working quickly. He was throwing strikes. It was everything we were sold And then the third inning happened, and it was kind of reminiscent of what took place Saturday with Miles Michaelis, where just it it wasn't there for him. What did you see that went wrong for both Michaelis and Mats over the weekend, and how concerning was it in your mind? You know, I think it's concerning for both just because it is the first, it's the first outing of the season. So that's all you can really base it on. It's a very small sample size. It's probably a little bit unfair to both Miles and Steven to quantify their first starts is all that they're good for. I mean, they did have very efficient springs, miles, miles especially, but spring training is spring training. So I think with miles, it, it came more about just not being able to really find the command that he was looking for. Um, and, and just, you know, he ran in trouble often and early. Same with, with Steven Matz. He was cruising for the first two innings and all of a sudden in the third things completely derailed. Um, he looked like he was coming out of the delivery a little bit. He was leaving his off speed really up in the zone. That grand slam came on a belt high curveball that totally changed the trajectory of both Matt's outing and the game. Um, but one thing about Stephen Matt that he did not mention yesterday that Ollie Marmel did today was that Matt's developed a blister um, right before the third inning, which would attribute to some of the struggles. And he said, you know, Matt's not going to be a guy that's going to go give himself an out out there. You know, there were other issues. He was leaving the ball up in the zone. You know, he was perhaps coming out of his delivery a little quicker. Um, and the Pirates hitters did have a very aggressive approach on him. 
but you know, Matt was dealing with a little bit of a blister issue, which does make more a little bit more sense when you're taking in the full body of work, especially to how efficient he looked in the first two innings there. So, Katie, with the, the game being postponed today, and then, of course, the, the Dakota Hudson was scheduled to start in this one, does this change much in terms of their approach with Jordan Hicks as getting that fifth start who was supposed to start tomorrow? I don't think so. I am. Sh- I well, don't quote me on this. We'll double check and hopefully have a more definitive answer for you soon. But I imagine they just push Dakota back until tomorrow and Jordan on Wednesday. That would put Adam Wainwright in line to start against the Brewers in Milwaukee's home opener on Thursday, which is funny because we did have a our, our media more availability this morning. Did talk a lot about how Adam wasn't slated to base against the Brewers, um, but now the Cardinals might catch a break there. Um, Jordan Hicks is expected to be used for a max of 45 pitches. Whether Ollie uses him to that extent remains to be seen. Um, earlier in the week, he said, you know, about two innings, but if Jordan looks good and can push it to three, they certainly will. But this team will be cautious with Jordan just because he is, uh, you know, just the injury history, um, how much potential they believe that he has. They're not going to put him in any high leverage, dire situations. But the point that they're making with Jordan right now is to build him up as a starter, keep him on a starter schedule so he knows exactly when he's pitching, when his bullpen's going to be, allow him to get into a routine. Um, and they'll continue building him up throughout these first parts of the season, the first few weeks, like they would in spring training. So 45 pitches is his max on Wednesday. Uh, then they'll hope that he can go to 60 the next outing and 75 from there, 90 and so on. Katie, final thing. We'll get you out of here on this. Is there anything we saw in the first three games of the year or what we were expecting to see later on this afternoon against the Pirates that has surprised you, given what you saw from this team out of spring training? I wouldn't say surprise. I would say something to keep an eye on is the bullpen. I think, and we talked about this a little bit before, guys, I think this bullpen is is made up a lot of, of guys that may not be known much outside of the NL Central, but I think there are some legitimate threats here. I think Brian Helsley is one of them. I mean, Cardinals fans know what Giovanni Gallegos and Genesis Cabrera can do, uh, and they know what TJ McFarlane can do, the ground ball specialist. But when you're looking at guys like Brian Helsley, Andre Palante, well, there's some important innings for them. Um, I, I was impressed by what Jake Woodford did yesterday, kept the damage to a minimum, kept the Cardinals in the ball game, and they have some long inning guys with Drew Verhagen who we haven't seen yet, and then we saw Aaron Brooks yesterday. I think this bullpen's a little bit underrated, and, you know, potentially the Cardinals will not have to dig into their, their bullpen as often as they have over the last two games, but if they do, it was nice to see that they have that depth there. Katie, at one thirty today, we are officially opening the – BK and Ferrario circle of trust. So I'm going to give you the opportunity as an honorary guest. You are our insider. Who is the first one that needs to go into the circle of trust? I'm, I'm all in on Ryan Helsley. I will die on this hill. Put Ryan Helsley in the circle of trust. Get back to me in September um, where I expect to be publicly applauded that I was correct. All right, Katie. T-Bone did that last year and it didn't work <laughs> out very well. So I'm going to believe you more than him. It's different this time. It's totally different. Katie, totally we, different. we appreciate the time as always. Enjoy your day off. Enjoy the trip out to Milwaukee here in a couple of days. And we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Thanks, Absolutely. Katie. Same to you. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, as you as you heard there, the Cardinals game against the Pirates for later on this afternoon has been postponed. It will be played in June. Is that correct? It's Tanner? played on Flag Day. Yes. Is it really? And, and my Doubleheader bu- June 14th. And my buddy Mike Claiborne always says... Flag day is when you know what a Cardinals team, a playoff or a baseball team looks like. So we're going to have two chances to see what that looks like. I'm really disappointed that Jordan Hicks isn't starting tomorrow. 
or that he probably won't be starting Why? tomorrow, I'd rather say. I'm going to that game. I was very excited Let's to see honest. Jordan Hicks. You weren't going for Jordan Hicks. You were going for Bobby Witt Jr. I, I, I wanted to see both. And here's the other issue. Zach Greinke was supposed to start for the Royals. And now he's, it looks like, is being pushed back to Wednesday's start. Uh, so you could have had a Wayno versus Greinke on Wednesday afternoon, a game that probably would have taken about two and a half hours. You should just and give up your tickets. Either. You should just give up your tickets then. No, no, give no. Give them away to I'm a listener. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we got to talk about Robert Thomas. My yeah, guy. we do. Oh, my goodness. Are okay. you watching this right now, Alex? He's going to finish the year with 20 goals. Calm down. Calm down. We'll talk about it. We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour. Questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Before we get to that, Alex, you got some blues news for us? Blues news! BK, T-Bone, hit the open. It's BK's Blues News. Good God, that was that? awful. It was like a BK buildup. Um, so according to Luke Korak from practice earlier today, Tory Krug, Tyler Bozak, both according to Craig Berube, are going on this two-game road trip to Boston and Buffalo. And Berube said there is a chance that one could play tomorrow against Boston. Any guesses on who it's going to be? Yeah, I know who it's going to be. Tory Krug. I'm going Bozak. And the reason why is because if Logan Brown plays in one more game, he will, the, the Blues will then have to give up that fourth round comp pick that they were expected to get in that trade. I think that the Blues would prefer not to have that happen. You're going to have to have him play, though. Why? Because McEachern's hurt, too. You're not going to be able to play the same group of 12 forwards the rest of the season. Kyra's going to be back. Well, yeah, Kyra's going to be back, but your fourth line, if Kyra's back, is. Torpchenko, Walker, and, and Bozak. Bozak. But if McEachern's hurt, you're going to have to have an extra forward at some point. You get back to backs. You're going to Logan Brown's going to play in more games. Uh uh-uh. uh Yeah, they'll they'll call somebody up in that no. situation. You're wrong on this, PK. I hear what you're saying, but you're wrong. I think that Logan Brown is done playing in the regular season. No, I don't think they're going to have him play any more games because I don't think that they want to give up that fourth round. You're telling pick. me that you think Tory Krug's not going to play against his former team? First time back in Boston since he I think signed it's with the Blues. Both play, but no, I think he if just I was said only one gonna play if i was betting on one over the other i would bet? go tyler what Bozak. would you like to bet you, you've got the the ted drews right damn right i got the ted drews the I'll, famous frozen I'll, custard i'll bet you a ted drews oh baby that make sure it's a cardinal sin that's, that's probably what i would go with okay for all right bozak for man i can't wait for the lines game tomorrow which we haven't played in like six months <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 636. Guys, what are your thoughts so far on what Dennis Gates has done with Mizzou? Seems like his recruiting has been at a very high level. Has he done much? So he got a big time Juco player that that was one of his first commits. Um, He had six guys. I think it ended up being five on campus over the weekend. We'll see what he ends up doing. I mean, I, give when, it some time for this this roster to really come together. When do they have to make that final decision, like the transfers and whatnot? There isn't really a cutoff. So it, they just can whenever they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of them try to get it done as soon as they can, especially by uh, summer workouts. Yeah. But they can do it whenever. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been impressed so far. And I, we didn't talk about it last week, really. But 
CY Young is an incredible hire for Mizzou. The former associate head coach down at Florida State is making like $600,000 a year, which is a massive amount of money for an assistant coach. So I'm going to... I, I feel good about where they're at right now, but let's give it time. I, I felt really good about where Mizzou was at after the first year of Conzo Martin's offseason as well. Didn't end up going well afterwards. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Uh, hey, guys, what did you see yesterday um, from Jake Woodford? Do you think he will eventually get a ch- another chance to be able to be the Cardinals fifth starter? I thought he was fine. I thought it was more. I thought it looked like Jake Woodford from from last year, the good and the bad. He was nibbling at times. Uh, I thought he overall was was fine. I, I didn't think that it was overly good or bad. I, I think I didn't see much of it, but I think he's going to get another start as the fifth starter because injuries are going to pop up. We all know this, and I still think you're going to see Jake Woodford possibly be a part of this Jordan Hicks experiment as the fifth rotation guy whether it's the guy that's coming after Jordan Hicks or whatnot but I do believe when it comes to the next guys to step in if an injury pops up for the rotation Woodford's going to get that first shot yeah that's kind of how I view it too I think he'll get another shot at it I think he was fine yesterday like you said BK but I I do think he'll get another shot at it because I don't know if you can do the opener when the roster starts to shrink back down especially if you had to use a fifth starter for an extended period of time so at some point, I think you'll get the fifth start. If Hicks struggles in his first outing as an opener, maybe they go to Woodford. I don't know if that's the case, but I, I do think he'll get some starts at some point. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Talk about the starting pitching. It seemed like it was a problem the last couple of games. Well, we just got the update from Katie Wu that yesterday, apparently Steven Matz had a blister, and that's what started some of the issues in the third inning. I know some people will laugh at that. That's a really big deal. And if that's what led to some of the command issues, it makes a lot of sense because he looked awesome in the first two innings. And then it all went away in the third inning. And it was hard to explain. And talking to him after the game, he didn't have a great explanation for it. If there was a blister there, well, that is the explanation. I didn't think Michaelis was necessarily bad on Saturday. He got squeezed a couple of times. I didn't think the zone was all that bad, though. And then he just had some light hits that ended up dropping and that happens sometimes especially when you're pitching to contact i thought overall i was more impressed with the way that he was able to work out of trouble than i was concerned by the fact that he got into it in the first place now if that continues in his next three or four starts sure we'll have some conversations about whether or not michaelis is going to be able to return to form but i thought he was mostly fine on saturday and the start from uh mats on sunday the first two innings that was super encouraging. And then it went downhill after the blister. Yeah, I always feel like with Miles Michaelis, because he's had problems with home runs in the past. And I understand it's at Bush Stadium. But anytime he's keeping the ball away from the warning track, I feel like the guy looks good. And he was working quickly. Even when he was getting squeezed, he was working quickly with his pitches. So I'm I'm not too concerned with Miles Michaelis. The thing with him is I just wanted to see him be able to go the distance. And he got, what, five five innings? Or was it six innings Three for Miles? Three thirds, I thought. Yeah. Oh, was it really? I thought it was more than that. But... I'm not concerned with him. Matt's, I mean, it was a minor it, miracle. He got through more than two. Well, that was given, given his pitch count. His pitch count got like really high. He, the first. Yeah. Matt's, I'm, if it really was the blister, and especially if he was rolling, I mean, that, that explains the third inning for you with him. So uh, I'm not as concerned with the, with the rotation in the early portion of the season as, as other people are.
yeah, I'm not concerned about either outing. I, I think both will be better once they get back into their next uh, turn through the rotation. The blister explains everything for Matt's. And these guys that pitch to contact, you're playing a game of chance. The ball could be hit. It could be a missile that goes right to somebody, or it could just be a little blooper that gets in. And, and just some of that luck just wasn't playing their way. So I don't read too much into it for their first outing. Would have liked to see them go deeper, but you understand it. Hopefully they're better their next turn through the rotation. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're playing a game of in or out. 65780 is your cover service tax line. If you've got a scenario you want us to be in or out on, we'll get into that coming up at 1215. Coming up next, Robert Thomas has officially emerged as a weapon for the Blues in the playoffs. We'll get to that, and we want to hear from you once again. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. If you're back in on the Blues after maybe being out for a little bit of time there, what is it specifically that got you to come back in? Is there a specific aspect of their game that's got you there? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. To Thomas, the Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. My God, Robert Thomas looks good right now. He's playing like a legitimate playoff weapon. Was there an answer there? There's there's more that's coming. He had 27 goals, Alex, in his first 208 regular season games. He has 13 goals in his last 23 regular season games. He's now up to 18 on the year, and uh, I think it was Chris Kerber who had this note as well. He's three assists shy at this point of becoming the first Blues player with at least 50 assists in a season since Doug White did it back in 2004. Alex, we've talked for the last couple of weeks now about how he's taken that step, and he looks like whether you want to call him the Blues number one center or not, he's playing as if he's a number one NHL centerman right now. And this is what the Blues needed from him. And as you get closer and closer to the postseason beginning, man, I'm going to go into the playoffs and expect him to be fully capable of not just being able to live up to the moment, but being one of the best players on the ice every time he steps out there. Well, and he, along with Vladimir Tarasenko and Pavel Buchnevich, have put together one of the more dominant lines in the National Hockey League in the last couple of weeks. I mean, you're seeing multiple point games for Thomas and Tarasenko and or Buchnevich pretty much every single night. And that's with the other teams knowing that that line they have to to shut down and the Blues are still finding ways to solve it. And to me, it is because of Robert Thomas. Vladimir Tarasenko, impressive season. Buchnevich, we've all loved what we've seen but Robert Thomas is creating space on the ice that no other Blues player has the potential to do I talked with Greg Wyshynski of ESPN for pregame on Saturday night and I basically just asked him what you thought of Robert Thomas and this was his answer oh absolutely you know I've thought for a long time that he was going to track towards that and um, this run for him this season has been revelatory and I I think it's really rewarded the faith of the Blues organization has put into him as a young prospect and then as a as a you know a player that's been moving up the lineup steadily. Um, it's a bummer for me because I was preparing to make him uh, one of my most underrated players this season. <laughs> I, I think I might still get him in under the wire, but I know that people are starting to really really take notice of the season that Robert Thomas is having and uh, and are definitely going to start putting him over. I think as we get closer to the playoffs, as uh, as being one of the better offensive players on the team. That's what really caught me when he said that. When he said he's starting to turn into one of the more better offensive players on this team. And think about. 
the guys on this team already. Braden Shen, who is basically a point-per-game player since he's returned to the lineup. Vladimir Tarasenko, who's having a a career-high season in a couple of categories. And then you've got the Buchnevichs, the Brandon Sods, the David Perrons, the Jordan Kyrus, and Robert Thomas is now emerging as one of the best offensive players on this team. That right there is why he's turning into such an impactful player for this Blues team. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. The Booch Vladdy Thomas line has outscored its opponents this year at five on five, 21 to 11, which is remarkable. They are getting about 55% of the offensive possession numbers. So that includes shots on goal, blocked shots, all of those different sorts of things. About 55% of the offensive uh, zone time is coming from the Blues line whenever they've got Booch, Vladdy, and Thomas out there. We got this from the 618, Alex. Would you take Thomas over Kairou if you were redrafting the Blues roster today? Absolutely. If you asked me this three months ago, my answer would have been no. Because at that point in time, we were just coming off of the Winter Classic. We were having very real conversations about, would you rather have Kaprizov or Kairou? And a lot of us, I think we all said, you'd probably still take Kaprizov, Mm -hmm. but it's closer than what you would have expected it to be at that point in time. Now it's no contest. You're taking Kaprizov, and he's he's clearly taken that next step since that point in time. And in Kairou, it's kind of stagnated since then. Thomas is doing what we've seen from Kaprizov, where it's like, okay, you were at that point, and you, you felt really good about Robert Thomas's game. He's taken it to a completely different level at this point. So I'm with you. I, I think you're going Thomas, and that's not a shot against Jordan Kairou. It's a statement in favor of what we've seen so far from Robert Thomas, especially over the last two months. Yeah, I mean, I brought it up before on our show of redrafting that year's draft, and Robert Thomas was taking, what was it, like 20th overall? He'd probably be second or third overall in that draft if you redrafted it. But look, teams teams are always desperate to find a number one centerman. That was the biggest blues flaw for 10 years before they signed Ryan O'Reilly. They they spent the money on Paul Stastny, and it worked out, but it didn't work out to what they were hoping for. They made David Backus a centerman because they needed something like that. I mean, you're talking about a number one centerman that you haven't had since Doug Waite for the Blues, and that was a player that you acquired in a trade. I would take Robert Thomas every day of the week ahead of Jordan Cairo in a draft because not just because of the offensive ability that we've seen, which I truly believe in, in a year or two, NHL is going to be talking about a Robert Thomas as a number one centerman in the National Hockey League, but it's also because of the defensive side of the puck, because Robert Thomas is not just a five-on-five guy. He's a power play guy. He's a penalty kill guy. He's a empty net situation guy. He's a guy that you want on the ice in every scenario possible. Now he's winning face-offs for you. Jordan Cairo is probably going to get to where Robert Thomas was in a couple of years because it took Thomas a couple of years to get to this point. But I don't know if Jordan Kyrou is ever going to get to this level of Robert Thomas in, term, in terms of where you can trust him in almost every scenario. Kyrou's got the trajectory of a Vladimir Tarasenko to where you want him on the ice a lot. But in a defensive situation, when you need a faceoff or you need a, a penalty kill, you're going to be going to Robert Thomas before you're going to Jordan Kyrou. Yeah, the answer is you need both. Like you, you can't you can't win at the highest of levels without either of those two things. Mm-hmm. You need a proven goal scorer like Jordan Kyrou or what he believe what we believe that he can be and will be. Uh, you also need a top line centerman who can play in any situation like a Robert Thomas. And if you have both of those guys on your roster at the same time as they do right now, both of whom are about to enter their primes over the next two to three years, 
yeah, you, you you need that, and that's how this ends up working the way that it did for the Blues when they had guys like Schwartz and Tarasenko and Shin and O'Reilly and Perron all playing at such a high level. You've got to be able to build that core, and that's what they're doing right now with those two guys. So uh, you need both, but yeah, if you were going to be able, if you were only able to keep one, uh, the guy that you keep is is probably Robert Thomas. He's the guy you build a franchise around. Any team right now out of the playoffs would call and make a trade in a heartbeat for Robert Thomas because he would immediately become their number one centerman. So, Alex, we've talked a little bit today about why we're back in on the Blues and why over this eight-game stretch where the Blues have had points in each of the last eight games, like you said, it's the longest stretch that they've had all year mm-hmm. uh, of doing this. I think if you're looking for one reason for me, I mentioned earlier today, it's the offense, but it's more specifically the five on five offense. There have been times this year where the blues have dominated individual games or individual stretches of games by winning on the power play. And they just, they score five power play goals in a three game stretch. And that's basically why they won all three games. It's not really what's happening right now, right now they're winning at five on five. And if you look at what they've done on the whole this season, we looked this up last week and I was honestly kind of shocked to see it. The Blues have scored the same number of goals at 5-on-5 this year as the Colorado Avalanche. They've played the same number of games, so they're averaging the same number of goals per game. The only teams in the Western Conference that have scored more so far at 5-on-5 than the Blues are the Calgary Flames, who have scored two more on the season, and the Minnesota Wilds, who have scored 175. The Blues are at 169. That's what's impressed me most about this stretch is they're getting back to that identity that we saw earlier on this season. They're not taking penalties. They're not killing themselves in their own zone. And then they're getting out and getting that offensive zone pressure that we knew they were capable of. That's why I'm starting to believe again is because in this stretch, they scored at least four goals in every game and it's not fluky. It's about what they're doing at five on five. Yeah. And if you break it down to an even tighter number, if you look at it, if you go by March 1st up until this point, which is kind of in the middle of where the Blues really started to play a little bit more uh, red hot hockey, they're seventh in the National Hockey League with 48 goals scored at five on five. But the best team is only four goals away from them, and that's the Toronto Maple Leafs that have 52. But think of these teams. Toronto, who has multiple star players, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, Calgary Flames, who've got the Matthew Kachucks, the Johnny Goudreaux, the Islanders, which is really surprising, but if you think about it, that's not a team that's been very successful on the power play. Boston, who's got some star players in Pasternak and Patrice Bergeron, and then Edmonton, who's got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Like, the Blues are the first team, other than the Islanders that you look at on this list and you say they got star players but they don't have these star players see I actually I'm starting to look at that a little bit differently I know that we've talked about it that way I I, maybe they're not at that same level but Vladimir Tarasenko is a superstar man like he he's been on the cover I know it's it's a silly thing to bring up but he's been on the cover of an NHL video game you don't do that unless you are a superstar player in this league but I don't know if people look at him that way because of the, the injuries, injuries that, that took place. That's fair, but I, I think we need to start looking at him that way again. Oh, I agree 100%. He's had a point-per-game uh, performance this year. He scored 26 goals already. He's probably going to get to 30 at some point this year. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko is a superstar again. And if you want to get down to that next level, Jordan Cairo, Pavel Buchnevich, Robert Thomas, Braden Shin, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, they're not at the same level as the Patrice Bergerons or an Austin Matthews or anything like that. They're the next level down, but they are star players in this league right now. That's six of them. But see, that's the difference, and that goes back to what we opened up the show with of why I feel like if we're going to say Colorado's a Stanley Cup contender or Calgary's a Stanley Cup contender, then the Blues absolutely are Stanley Cup contenders because we saw it against Minnesota. It was a very tight game. It went into overtime. 
But at times, Minnesota had zero answers for dealing with the depth that the Blues have. And with their line combinations, when you put Tyler Bozak in and you get some consistency for your fourth line of Bozak, Torpchenko, and Nathan Walker, teams are going to have a very difficult time trying to figure out what lines to eliminate. Because just when you think that we took out Vladimir Tarasenko and Robert Thomas, Braden Shen is going to dipsy-doodle around you and go five-hole on the goaltender. Or Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron are going to make you pay. Or a team is going to look at that fourth line for the Blues and say, ah, these guys are nothing. We don't have to worry about them. And then lo and behold, Nathan Walker comes out on the ice and scores a goal. That's why... And that's something that Colorado and Calgary, in my opinion, don't have that the Blues do. Coming up in 15 minutes, our biggest weekend observations from the Major League Baseball season that began as a whole. So we're looking beyond just the Cardinals. But there are some key indicators from around the league that can relate back to the Cardinals. We'll get into that coming up at 1230. Questions and answers was 30 minutes ago. In or out is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. Had to ease into that one. Oh, you sounded depressed. Oh, is it because the Cardinals aren't playing today? What do you mean? Oh, that was some good stuff right what there. Ha- did somebody kick you in the throat as you were attempting to or sing? The no, but I, no, but I'd like to kick you in the throat. Oh boy, I know that's true. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Let's start out with this one: in or out. Dylan Carlson is going to lead the National League in runs scored this season. The last time the, the Cardinals last year had a 100 uh, had one player score 101 runs. That was Paul Goldschmidt. It was the first time that that had happened since Matt Carpenter, surprisingly enough, in 2015 and 2018, well, scored was, at least 100 runs. He was a leadoff hitter then. Before that, you have to go back to 2013 for Matt Holiday, And before that, it was basically Albert Pujols every year of his career. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to say I'm out on this because I think that's a really tough thing to go with. I'm looking at last season alone in Major League Baseball. And I mean, you're talking about Vladimir Guerrero with 123 runs. Freddie Freeman led the National League with 120. That's going to be tough to get to. I think you're going to have to see. I think you're going to be relying a lot on an individual performance there for Dylan Carlson. And everyone's going to go through a cold streak, especially when you're transitioning into a new position in the batting order. So I'm going to say I'm out on that one. I'm going to say I'm out on it, but this could be something he could do later on in his career. Remember, we had John Denton on. I think it was like a week before the season started. He said he might be a leadoff guy for the next 10 years. I think he may do this potentially sometime later on down the road. I'm just not certain of it this year because, I mean, I look at the list of these guys, not just in the National League, but the American League. It's either a guy that can put up our, not our pole type numbers, but have that home run potential where he's driving himself in a lot and drives in a lot of runs, or a guy that hits for average and can be near the top of the lineup. I just don't see Carlson as being like a 290, 300 hitter this year, and I think that'll be what kind of drives him down in terms of his runs so i'm gonna say i'm out on this i'm gonna say out as well but keep an eye on it if we get to flag day for example and he's right up there towards the top of the league and runs scored it's not gonna be a coincidence like that's happening because of the guys that are behind him one thing that really stood out to me about the cardinals over the weekend when it comes to their offense 
Watch what they're doing with runners on third with less than two outs. I think they scored that runner every time over the weekend, if I'm not mistaken. And that goes back all the way to Thursday. That is something this team had struggled with in recent years. If they can continue doing that, a lot of the times that runner is going to be Dylan Carlson and you're going to have Tyler O'Neill or Nolan Arenado coming up trying to drive him in. The biggest thing is like, so let's say he walks to start off a game, right? Just as an example. Paul Goldschmidt hits a, a line drive single into a gap. He's going to be a third. And now you've got Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Arenado coming up. No outs, runner on third with him having the opportunity to score there. I think you're going to see that a whole lot this year, especially in the first inning. So I, I am saying I don't think that he will lead the league in runs this year. It would not surprise me at all, though, if he finishes top five, a year similar to what we saw last year, for example, out of Ozzie Albies, where he scored 103 runs for the uh, Atlanta Braves. I think you could see something similar this year out of uh, Dylan Carlson. But Ozzie's not good, remember? He's not a good second yeah. baseman. He's a product of those around He's him. an awful second Six, five, baseman. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. Guys, in or out, if the Cardinals decide not to extend Trey Turner... The Cardinals. Me, if the Dodgers decide him? not to extend Trey Turner, the Cardinals should go after him this offseason. Absolutely, they should. Why wouldn't you? Did you see this uh, report from The Athletic? No, but is Trey Turner not coming back? Apparently, the Dodgers did not approach him oh, this offseason yes. about a contract extension. Let's go, T-Bone. And so this year, he's going to play without an extension, similar to what you're seeing from uh, Aaron Judge out in New York. In or out, the Cardinals should approach him after the year if he doesn't get one done. In... This to me feels like the Nolan Arenado situation where there was a glaring hole for a team and they tried the internal fixtures and they were like, ah, maybe Matt Carpenter can do it or maybe Tommy Edmond can do it and it just didn't pan out. And then it just fell into their lap that there was a superstar that was available and wanted to be traded. Now, I know Trey Turner's not going to be traded, but the free agent becomes available, right? The guy that they've been trying to find for so long, a shortstop. Paul DeYoung doesn't have the greatest season. Trey Turner's sitting there. I'm in on this. They absolutely call him up and see if they can get something done. I mean, I'm in on this just because, I mean, he's one of the, what, top 30 best players in baseball? Top 20? I mean, he's an incredible shortstop. And even if DeYoung bounces back, you're still going to go after him. You can't make the, you can't tell me you wouldn't rather have Trey Turner than Paul DeYoung in in this lineup. Imagine him at leadoff and you move Carlson down to that five spot. So uh, I'm in on this. Now, granted, will the Cardinals do it? No, but I'm in on this. I'll I'll play the game and have the nostalgia of doing it. I'm curious what he's going to end up getting. According to SpotRack, they have him down as a nine-year deal worth $295 million. Give it to him. I wouldn't do that for a guy that surprisingly is going to be 30 years old next year. It, it feels like he's younger than that. This is his age 29 season, though. If if you could get him on something more similar to the Anthony Rendon type of a contract where he ended up getting seven years, $245 million, that's the kind of deal I would be interested in for a guy that's going to be starting his contract in his third, in his age 30 season. That's why they didn't go after any of these shortstop this year because they're they too young. No, <laughs> that was unnecessary. No, they were, they said, well, Trey Turner's going to be here next year. Mm, Let's go mm, get him. That's what it was. Let's go get him, boys. Uh, 65780 is your comfort service X line for in or out. Guys, in or out, headphones are enough for Rob Manfred to improve his relationship with the players. What Did you see this mean? story? Rob Manfred gifted Major League Baseball players some Bose headphones on opening day as a peace offering after the 99-day lockout that delayed the start of the regular season. That's an awful, that's a awful peace offering gift from the commissioner. You would accept them. I would love to accept them right now.
These I, bad boys. I can't believe your headphones have lasted as long as they have. I'll, I'll take a picture of this hey, uh, and we'll post it on Twitter. We all, don't, we all can't ESPN. afford Pelotons, you know? True. Some of us have to use broken equipment. I mean, your, your headphones they work. have seen better days. Yeah. They, they are so broken that the tape you once used has oh, also no. removed itself from the equation. Yeah, my, my daughter <laughs> essentially, I, I had them on my head going to record some stuff in my basement. You know, like I had them sitting on top, not listening to them, but like going to put them down. And of course, this was in the grabbing motion and she went to grab them and knocked them onto the hard floor and they, they snapped. Don't blame your kid. What, what do you mean? Don't blame my kid. She did it. Fault. But hey, I would love this peace offering gift. But no, if I'm the players, I'm like, you have to offer me a lot more than Bose headphones, Rob. 90 days in a lockout. 99. 99 days. You didn't even approach us for like two months. And you think the Bose headphones are going to get this done? I think that's a perfect way to do it. All right, Rob. Get the hell out of here. Thanks for one gift for day one. Yeah. I need 98 <laughs> other gifts. Throw Let's some more going. in here, Robbie. Uh, I'm in. I think this is more than enough. More than enough to be able to completely remove everything that we thought was an issue. Uh, in or out, Ryan Helsley was most important, Im- impressive, rather, Cardinals pitcher we saw through the first three games of the season. I'm in on that. For once, I'm actually believing in Ryan Helsley this year, but my God, did you see the movement he on some impressive. of those pitches? Kim pitching felt like the first time I saw Jordan Hicks out of the bullpen. It's like, oof, okay. So, yeah, I'm in on this one. I think I'm in on this as well. Uh, there were a lot of other guys that I thought were impressive over the weekend. It just wasn't as sexy with like the three strikeouts and his stuff was really moving. And again, he came on with runners in scoring position and guess what? Those inherited runners did not score. So very impressive outing for Ryan Helsley. I'm buying into what Katie Wu was saying. I mean, we're doing a circle of trust guys. I'm going to be like we'll that great. There. I'm going to be whoa, that whoa, great whoa, 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 guys whoa. I'm just telling you. Somebody on the text line says the, the players have 99 problems, but post headphones ain't one. <laughs> that's well played. <laughs> Amen to that. That's, that's very well played. Um, I'm in. He was the most impressive pitcher that we saw over the weekend. I, I don't know if it'll sustain. I've still got my questions. We'll get into that later on today. <laughs> Someone said in but or out. But he was damn impressive. Someone said in or out. Alex was wearing his headphones around the house not to record, but to avoid his family. 100% in. Oh, in. Couldn't, I've yeah. never been more in on anything in my life. Guys, I love my family. I love spending time with my daughter and my wife. Why would I wear headphones for that? Why do you stay around here so often after the show? Probably knew, there was a, probably knew Katie had like chores for you or something, so you put your headphones on so you couldn't hear. Because I'm dedicated to my craft. I'm always here. Uh, in or out, guys, you were surprised that Albert Pujols didn't make an appearance on Saturday or Sunday. Um, I'm in on that. I expected to see him at least one more time after that start, especially with the day off on Friday. Like I expected to see him either in Saturday or Sunday's game, and especially when they had the opportunity with the lefty on the mound out of the pen, so... I'm a little surprised by that, but I would imagine they're also trying to find out what everyone has to offer in certain situations for the first uh, first three games of the regular season. Yeah, I'll say I mean on this as well. I was a little surprised, but I understand why the Cardinals did it. It, it makes sense from the baseball perspective of it, but for the home op- for the home opening series, the first three games, I was a little surprised you didn't see Albert appear just once, whether it be pinch it at bat or even just get the start at DH. It makes me wonder if we could go back to my original take. Maybe he is just the guy against lefties. Uh, we just keep going back and forth. Dude, you I can't know what to make of like this anymore. Us. I, hey, welcome to my life, right? Amen to that. Uh, I I just can't wait till he's on the All-Star game. I was a little surprised <laughs> by this. I was surprised by a lot of the way that they handled the substitutions, or really the lack thereof. We have yet to see anybody subbed out of the game. Now, there's a, the disclaimer. Marmol wasn't even 
managing the games on Saturday or Sunday. So we don't Are really you know. Skip's not a good enough manager. Yeah, what no, are you blaming we Skip just, for? We just don't know how how Marmol is going to f- manage when he's got those. You don't game think situations. Marmol was managing from his house with a box of tissues next not to him because he stuff he knows? I think he was prior to the game. Oh. We talked to Skip yesterday early on, and he said that Marmol basically told him, "Hey, here's here's what I'm thinking for the lineup. Here's what we're looking at for the bullpen situations, depending on what arises." But yeah, once once everything starts going, that's on Skip. He, he probably had the whole game plan laid out, and then Matt's had the blister, <laughs> and it was all blister. thrown away. Great question. Does Bobby Bonilla get the headphones from Rob Manfred? Oh, he should. I mean, he's still on the payroll. It's part of the players, right? You know? Yeah, that's true. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. In 15 minutes, we're diving into the, into the junk drawer. But coming up next, the league is struggling to hit, but nobody seems to be pitching very well either. We'll talk about it coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's take a look around Major League Baseball. The biggest things that we could take away from the first weekend. Alex, I, I was pretty stunned when I saw this last night. The only remaining undefeated team in Major League Baseball. This is after the first weekend of the season. Of course, is the Tampa Bay Rays. It's the only team that remains unbeaten. Now, I know we've had some questions about, you know, the, the Cardinals pitching staff. Around the league, though, a lot of the questions are about the pitching because a lot of the teams around the league are not pitching particularly well. And if you look specifically inside of the division, one of my biggest takeaways from the weekend, man, the Brewers better get something going with their rotation because that offense is stinky. It is no good. Stanky. And in their first three games, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta, they combined to go one and two. They threw a total of 12 and two-thirds innings. They allowed 13 hits and 13 earned runs. They had nearly as many walks as strikeouts. Woof. Not good for those three. And I've been trying to tell you guys there might be some legitimate questions as to what that rotation is going to look like coming off of their first full season in the big leagues together. I mean, I understand that. But the fact that they only scored nine runs in three games is probably a uh, big concern right now for Milwaukee as well. I mean... uh, I didn't expect their offense to be great, but we've mentioned it. Their offense surrounds Christian Yelich, and if the guy isn't hitting, and I don't know what he did over the weekend for Milwaukee, I would imagine it's not great, but if you don't have him hitting, you don't have much. Like, they lived off of Willie Adamas last year, and it's hard to imagine that he does that again, what he did last year for Milwaukee. So, yeah, I would say there's some big concerns right now uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers, especially after Cincinnati, who I know they played one more game then, but Cincinnati is sitting above Milwaukee, which everyone thought they were going to be awful. It was an encouraging start for Christian Yelich. He finished the weekend three for eight. Uh, he had a double and then a couple of walks as well. So he he looked pretty solid early on, but that lineup as a whole, they just... They don't have anybody really that scares me. I know Willie Adamas was outstanding last year. I, I don't buy into what he was as a, as a hitter. I don't expect that to be sustainable. Their third best hitter in the lineup is what? Andrew McCutcheon? Is he the third best hitter in that him, order right him or now? Or Hunter Renfro. I mean, that, I'd probably say I'd probably say McCutcheon. He's got a better average than Renfro. I, I mean, if that's your third best hitter in the lineup, I, I mean, got where, problems. Where would McCutcheon be in this Cardinals lineup? Like sixth, fifth, mm. something like that. In terms of best hitter, yeah, he'd be seventh. I would think. Yeah, I think I he'd would. He'd be about I'd where probably have, he is right now. Yeah, I'd probably have him seventh or eighth. 
I mean, that that's not a good sign of things. If you're the Brewers early on in the season, they can make it up by that dominant pitching staff as it was a year ago. But if they don't get that out of them, that's going to be problematic. Somebody texted it and said uh, Woodruff must have walked the first batter this year, especially. And didn't he like set the record for most innings pitched without walking a, a batter? Like maybe that is a sign of things to come for for Corbin Burns and this pitching staff. And it's only one star. Like I don't want to draw too many takeaways from one weekend, but it's something worth keeping an eye on. There's there's. Only so much you can take from it, but it is noteworthy when you have three starting pitchers who are going to be the identity of a team that all kind of struggled over the weekend. Alex, what was your biggest takeaway from the first weekend in Major League Baseball? Honestly, the Dodgers. I mean, and again, it's the first week of the season, as Tony LaRusso says, but they gave up 15 runs to Colorado in the first three games of the season to where, like, I get it. Everyone's going to have moments like this, but... Pitching was the one thing I was really curious about with the Dodgers, and I didn't think it would be bad because I thought they'd be able to survive without what took place over the last couple of seasons. But that did not look pretty. And a lot of those runs, if I'm not mistaken, the bullpen gave those up. So I think the bullpen is going to be a massive concern for the Dodgers as it's not what it used to be with Joe Kelly and Kenley Jansen coming out of it. Julio Urias, rough first start for him his uh his fastball was averaging just 94 miles per hour Wolf. if he's not the guy they need him to be their rotation looks a lot like the cardinals does yeah they have one guy they've got walker bueller and then a bunch of other dudes that they're hoping have some sort of a bounce back season and are guys that they can maybe hope and prayer that they're going to get back together cody bellinger's another guy didn't look good either this weekend and if he's not going to be the mvp version of cody bellinger i said this before the season their lineup is still going to be very good. There is almost no way that their lineup is bad. But instead of being otherworldly great with an MVP batting like seventh in their order, now it just becomes really, really outstanding. Yeah. And that, that matters when you have a pitching staff that has as many questions as they do. I, I just wonder if a team that has all of those hitters, like when you add Freddie Freeman to a group of guys who are already stacked, I just wonder if guys feel like there's not enough opportunities to be the you know like if everyone wants to be the star too much i just it feels like when you put that many star like kind of feels like the vegas golden knight style where you're putting all these star players together and hope that they turn into this massive powerhouse more individualized where it's batter versus pitcher and so i don't worry too much about that they've just got really good hitters in the lineup and i think more often than not that will eventually work itself out now if you've got bad personalities if you've got conflicts personality wise that can be an issue but they don't yeah, but seem to have those kinds of guys. It just feels like the, you know, people have egos. They want to be the number one guy. And if you're Mookie Betts and everyone's talking about Freddie Freeman, I understand it's individualized, but I, I would wonder if that becomes a problem at some point. Yeah, I, I don't worry too much about that in baseball. And actually, my biggest takeaway wasn't so much their pitching because it's hard to pitch in That's Colorado. Fair. It was the offense for me from the Dodgers that I was a little shocked by. They had the 26th best OPS, and again, it was only like three games. They did not hit the ball well in Colorado, and that is a hitter-friendly park. And for that offense that we've talked so much about, that was a little bit eye-opening to me and a little curious because I don't look at Colorado and go, yeah, they've got great pitching staff. So that was a little curious to me. Uh, Milwaukee was a standout to me. Also, uh, the Cubs, the Cubs were a little bit better than I expected. Now, part of that could be maybe the Milwaukee pitchers weren't used to pitching in the cold because it was very cold up there over the weekend. So maybe that factored into the pitcher struggles. I don't know. We'll see when they get back to a warmer environment how they how they fare. But the Cubs surprised me a little bit to see them take two of three from Milwaukee, and they played really good, especially on Saturday. I saw quite a bit of that game on Saturday. They played really well, and they're kind of a team I'm going to keep an eye on because I don't view them as being 
terrible like I think Cincinnati and Pittsburgh are going to be. I view them as a team that could potentially be close to 500, but if everything clicks for them, they could be a team that could potentially throw their name into the hat here in the NL Central. couple other observations from the weekend that was in Major League Baseball. I think that the, the rule change that Major League Baseball made when it comes to miking up the umpires is the best rule change in baseball in years. After review, the runner is safe. That was in Toronto when they announced that a call had been overturned. Alex, we had another one of those yesterday here in St. Louis when Dylan Carlson originally was ruled out on the stolen base. He eventually was ruled safe on the overturn. Uh, The crowd gets into this, man. And the other thing is 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys want to get involved in this. Uh, There are people that are at the game that when it goes under review, you have no idea sometimes what they're looking at. None. And when they're able to just make an announcement inside of the stadium, hey, this is what we're looking at. They go over to the monitor. They decided whether it's going to be overturned or not. And boom, you're ready to go. And they're able to announce exactly why they did or did not overturn it. I think it completely changes the in-game experience while you're specifically at the ballpark. When you're watching at home, a lot of the times, whether it's Dan or Jimmy or whoever, they can kind of take you through it. And eventually they, they find out more often than not what's going on. But when you're at the ballpark, sometimes you just feel completely out of the loop. This is a great rule change in my mind. I th- I'm stu- I'm shocked, honestly, that it took this long to get here. Yeah, I am too, and I think it's a great rule change. And correct me if I'm wrong, they don't even sprint over to the dugout anymore, mm. if that's right, because they, they, they get a real aid through their uh, earpiece. So, yeah, I'm glad to see Major League Baseball do it. They should have done it when they first started instant, uh, the instant replay system because, uh, like you said, there are times – look, you can guess – sometimes what's happened because it's clear and obvious there are other times you have absolutely no idea why they're doing it so to see them actually do it and then it can play into the crowd as you just heard there from toronto imagine that in a playoff game that's going to be awesome as well so i'm glad to see them do it and, so, and we know what the worst rule change that's was, some of the best the designated hitter that's some of the best in terms of hockey when when they have those goal announcements yeah. or no goal announcements the only thing i would suggest is uh mlb umpires need to watch a lot of west mccauley do those announcements at hockey games. They got to they gotta milk it a little bit to get a little bit more energy. So I did want to discuss a little bit. Do you, do you guys mind if we talk a little bit about the broadcast from last night? ESPN's new Sunday night broadcast is perfect. It, it's absolutely perfect. I love the announcer crew. I love having Buster Olney on the crew. And then Tim Kirkchin was on uh, with them. I think it was on Thursday night. Yeah. It, the end game just enjoyment factor for me some of the stuff that they were talking about they were able to um the, the the new communication system that they're using in baseball for the pitchers and the catchers and then the infielders think have it as well uh they were able to break that down in a way that i hadn't seen broken down anywhere else because they actually had one in the booth last night that was awesome and it is such an improvement from what it was previously on the other side um apple plus's new broadcast crew it's gonna it's gonna take some time, boys. So, so who's on the Apple Plus broadcast crew? So Apple Plus, it has I don't even have Apple Chris Plus. Young, if I'm not mistaken, is one of them. Melanie Newman and Hannah Kaiser, who I'm I'm not familiar with her work she to be works honest. For uh Yahoo's Yahoo? Yeah, Yahoo Sports. Okay. What's it it be Yahoo? 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 Why does he say Yahoo? Yahoo. Melanie Newman, Chris Young, Hannah Kaiser, and then Katie Nolan is making some appearances on there as well. Huh. It, it's a lot. 
That doesn't that doesn't scream subscribe to Apple Plus for me to see that broadcast. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see how it looks midway through the season. But the Cardinals, I think, have a game coming up here within a few weeks, if I'm not mistaken, on Apple Plus. I will and be I curious to hear Wait for the old people to complain. I don't have Apple Plus. <laughs> I don't either, so I don't blame them. That's I will be curious to that. hear Cardinals fans' reviews of that broadcast. There was one other thing that I saw while I was watching ESPN's broadcast last night between the Yankees and the Red Sox, Alex. I wanted to go insane. As long as I can remember, I wanted to be shortstop for the New York Yankees. Yankee selection is Derek Jeter. Man, I'm proud. Yankees win. Once you win, there's nothing else to do but to win again. Everything that came with it was not part of the dream. I don't have to be your best friend. I did it the best way I knew how. Doesn't even sound intimidating. <laughs> not everybody is Michael Jordan, man. Derek Jeter's not that interesting. He won a bunch of rings. He played for the greatest organization at the time in New York. They spent a crap ton of money and drafted really well over like a five to six year stretch. I don't need a multi-part documentary on how Derek Jeter was the captain. Derek Jeter. I don't care, man. I don't need to see this. You want to do a multi-part documentary on Albert Pujols in his final season? All right, cool. I'm in. Greatest hitter of his generation. I don't need to see this crap on Derek Jeter. What What are we doing here, Alex? Do we really need this? Yeah, Derek Jeter's awesome. Derek oh, Jeter was the God. captain. Derek Jeter was the New York Yankees. They literally read. You're telling me you don't want to know behind the scenes of Derek Jeter's time no, in New York really with A-Rod? I got to be honest. I Get really don't. Get the hell out of I here. I don't have yes, any interest do. in that. Just because you hate Derek Jeter doesn't mean that we can't watch and enjoy the documentary. Is this script literally from Michael Jordan's Absolutely. documentary? Absolutely. Every ESPN documentary can, now Can we is, listen to the last like six seconds of that again about how you, you don't have to like me, but this is the only way I know how to do it? Like, what? What? I did it the best way I knew how. Damn right you did, Derek. Yeah. You don't have to be my best friend. I did it the best way I knew how. That that sentence actually does not make sense, but I'll just say this. He's talking about his leadership style, and apparently he was a hard ass. I I didn't know that about Derek Jeter. Well, there you go. That's worth watching. You didn't know this about Derek Jeter. I knew Michael Jordan punched his teammate in practice and that his leadership style might not be for everybody. The only thing I want to know about Derek Jeter's career is why he left the Marlins. That's the only thing I'm curious about. New York. Nah, there were more interesting characters. I would be interested if they were actually... The Derek Jeter story I'm interested in is the Derek Jeter story he's not going to tell on this. I want to know about when... People went over to his place and they put the phones into the basket. Like what Paul took Pierce, place afterwards, like Paul Pierce stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, were know. there strippers around? I want to know what the situation looked like at his house when he was having everybody say, "Ah, now you can't have your phone when you're around well, me." Maybe at somebody's going to say that. Maybe somebody's going to tell that story. I have a weird feeling when he's one of the executive producers on the project. You're probably not going to get that. Yeah, information so you on can't this. be the executive producer of your documentary. You got to let somebody else do that. I mean, there, there are people that I would be interested in finding out what. What kind of more of the background is on a multi multi part documentary? Derek Jeter ain't one of those. Look, man, I'm sorry, he's just not I'm all just, that interesting. I'm just a fan of sports, and I'd like to learn more about the figures that impacted my childhood. BK coming up in ten minutes. Sorry, we're not going to get a documentary about Bobby Witt Jr. Oh, give it time, buddy. Give it time. Coming up in 10 minutes, we're talking about the 20 most important Cardinals for 2022. We're finishing up our list with number one on the list. We're still doing that? We'll give you some of our thoughts on how it would have changed if we were able to do that after the season began. (laughs) We'll do that coming up in 10 minutes. The Junk Drawer coming up next.
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Before we get to, I know both of you have something for the junk drawer. Alex, we we're talking about this off air. I brought up a story that I saw in the New York Post that apparently uh, Will Smith's wife, wife Jada did not want to marry him, and she, quote, cried at the horrible wedding. All of this stuff is just becoming uncomfortable with Will Smith and his personal life coming I'm out. Glad more he and more. got suspended from the Academy for his wife then. Did you see uh, he's not allowed to go to the Oscars anymore, but he is still allowed to be nominated and win well, the and Oscar? Now he's like going to like, rehab on, for anger management or something. It's like, what are we doing here? It's, it was a bad moment for Will Smith. Nobody's perfect, and I understand it was in the public eye and it shouldn't have happened. But can we just stop with this already? Yeah, some of this has, has like, gone overboard. We are blowing this way out of out of proportion. And then on top of it, it's it, it all feels like a publicity stunt for Will and Jada because, oh, well, they're not going to talk not about it. Not a good one, though. No, well, that's the thing. It's we're not going to talk about it until Will joins Jada on her red oh. talk table, round table. Or something. It's like, what are just move on from it. You mentioned this during the break. You said your favorite Will Smith movie, one that we both watched over the weekend, yeah, ironically right. enough, is Bad Boys Not together, 2. Not together, guys. No, we didn't watch it together. You guys watched the movie together? No. Well, <laughs> technically we did, but it you was in, in our Chicago. own houses. We tried to invite you. You weren't yeah. available. You were stuck uh, up there trying to watch the Cubs game on your own. Uh, Tanner, what's your favorite Will Smith movie? Because your Will Smith experience probably begins more in like the, the mid, mid to late two like thousand, the pursuit of happiness era, as I opposed really, to probably Hitch, like Wild Wild be, West, Ali, his, Men in Black. His era. would be like, the Hitch era. Like if I'm being honest, like the only movie I can really recall him being in is like Men in Black. Like I don't know if I've seen a lot that has Will Smith in. Really? It. Yeah. See, Will Smith is kind of like Denzel okay. Washington for me. Any movie he's in, I'm gonna see because they're usually good movies. But Bad Boys Two is still the goat for Will Smith movies. Did you ever see Focus? Really bad. <laughs> no, that was awful. You know the other one that I, I actually... He had that really good run, though, in the, the late 2000s yeah. of Pursuit of Happiness, I Am Legend. Hancock was just okay. Hancock wasn't Seven good. Pounds and then Men in Seven Black Seven Pounds. That was a really good movie that, that people don't... Oh, yeah, I cried at that one. You know the movie that I, I hated at the beginning and I liked more and more? I, Robot. Uh, that was a that really one? good one. I hated it at the beginning, and I'm like... Oh, man, this I, is Robot? Good. Yeah, this one's good. <laughs> Jesus. Like, no, on, no, man. I haven't seen the movie. I, I know the, yeah. I recognize the name of it, but I yeah. didn't realize Will Smith was in it. He's is he really, the star? He, well, of course he one is. One of the them, story. yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, Who's the female in that? I forget what her name is. I don't have to. But Independence Day is another one that gets forgotten. Oh, Independence Tanner, Day. Have you ever seen goat. Independence Day? Yeah, he's an Independence Day? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Welcome to Earth. You've you've seen Independence Day? Maybe I I'm haven't. actually surprised you've seen Independence Day. Yeah, I seen somebody it. invited you over to watch Wild Wild West with them. All right, let's do it. Enemy of the States, a really good one with Will Smith. These are getting back into the early Will Smith yeah. days. The the early I, 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 Will Smith has always been one of my favorite actors from like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air all the way up through the movies that he's put together mm-hmm. now. I just wish he would do more Bad Boys movies and less serious movies By because way, I think he's more fun there. We're getting a bunch of people that are saying I Am Legend uh, was their favorite movie. Will Smith movie. Alex, that was one that you brought up mm. on, 
during the break. I think that's one of those that I have more appreciation for after the fact. In the moment, the first time I saw it, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. I thought it was good, but it wasn't like one of my favorite Will Smith ones. The, the more you see it, I think the more appreciation. I, I think I walked out of that theater just loving the movie, and then the more I've watched it, the more you appreciate the fact that he basically acted in that full movie by himself, and it was an intense movie. Like when he's yelling at the mannequin and then trying to like date the mannequin in the movie store, boy, I'm like, this guy, he's an actor. Uh, what did you have, Alex, for the junk tour today? So I had something pop up on social media that I thought was pretty funny, and it's just some funny anecdotes about marriage, and I was wanted to bring it to the table, and I want to see if these relate to you and your marriage, BK. Okay. T-Bone? What about mine? Nope. I mean, maybe. I don't know what kind of marriage you have right I'm, now. I'm single and ready to single. So this first one, in case you're wondering what marriage is like, my husband and I just fought over the fact that he wouldn't tell me where he hid the candy I asked him to hide from me. That checks out. I've had fights with my wife before about dreams that one of us has had. Like, had a dream, like, you did this to me in the dream, and then we get angry about it with each other. Yep, Uh, very much have been in that spot before. Uh, This sounds like something, though, that I would argue with Kara about because I would forget that she told me to do something. Although she has done that with her charger before. I don't know how often the charger becomes an issue for you guys in your house, but an iPhone charger is like gold. And if I use hers and it's in the wrong spot, whoo, buddy, I have made a severe mistake. <laughs> this, one, um, this one's but good, But there are too. times when she uses it, and she's <laughs> got it somewhere, like, in our spare bedroom because she gets ready in there. And she comes back to me. She's like, where is my charger? I don't know. I didn't use it. And then it's on her. Don't touch my charger. How about this one? We just measured our bed at 10 p.m. to make sure we're both sleeping on equal sides of it. Uh, we've never gotten to that degree. Oh, we've gotten to that degree. <laughs> but she is a cuddler, and I am a furnace at night. And yep. so if she tries to do the old throw the leg over type Whoa. of thing. Oh, the old Jamie Rivers throw the leg there's over? no way to get that out there. Um, it, I oh, there are times when I get very upset about it. Oh, yeah. So, so much <laughs> like... I can't do this right now. It is 100 degrees. Katie despises me when it comes to sleeping in bed because I'm a mover in bed. Like, I'll sleep. I'll wake up with my head on the pillow, and I will wake up later on with my head like catty corner to the bed. So Kara's out of town this weekend. She's down in Phoenix uh, with one of her friends. So this weekend when I wake up, I am like a starfish where I've got one leg on one end of the bed, another on the other, and I am just taking up the entirety of our queen-size bed. This is two more for you. I've reached the point in my marriage that my husband fell asleep on the couch, and oh my God, I'm so excited to get the bed all to myself. So Kara's the one that I, I never fall asleep on the couch. I, I can't do it. It's just I need to sleep in my own bed. Kara loves sleeping on the couch. And so early on when we had moved into our new place, I'd be like, hey, Kara, are you ready to come to bed? Now it's like, okay, she's just going to sleep here tonight. That's fine. <laughs> My wife, she loves the fact sometimes when I fall asleep on the couch because she just knows she gets an entire bed to myself. This one got me. Uh, me, I bought you some new undershirts. Him, that's oh, exciting. Narrator, marriage. Oh, see, I, I would think it would go the other direction of wife, I bought you some new undershirts. Husband, What's wrong with my current undershirts? That feels more like how that conversation Touché, would go. But my uh, Katie's come home before and like, oh, hey, they had a pack of 20 white undershirts for five bucks at TJ Maxx. I got them for you. Hell yes. I can throw my old ones away. Yeah, I get really excited about useless things like that. Coming up in 15 minutes. Ville Huso. I, I'm. 
is an X factor the way to phrase it? Maybe not, but he is living up to the task right now of being a legitimate number one goalie going into the playoffs. We'll talk more about his recent performance coming up at 115. We finish. God, thank, thank you. Our countdown of the 20 most important right Cardinals for 2022 day. with number one coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2022 season on BK and Ferrario. Number one, Jack Flaherty. 2-2. Check swing and he did go. It's a strikeout and the second tonight for Jack Flaherty. The 2-2. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right hook to the chin. What happened? Hold on. Hold on. Was, that, was that the Hennessy Cabrera pitch to Bryce Harper? Yeah, that's a Jack Flaherty strikeout. Oh my god. That did not like kill him. Can we play that again? I know we got the bed right now. Yeah. That, I, that, that, did, at the end? that did not sound like a strikeout. That sounded like a UFC punch. That's, oh yeah. Right hook to the face. I saw a story over the weekend. Traylon Burks, the wide receiver for Arkansas, apparently he hunts wild boar. In his his native land out in Arkansas, in his native with, land in with Arkansas, nothing more than his dogs and a knife. That's a man right that there. That sounds like this. Uh, that whatever that was sounded like I would imagine it sounds like when Traylon Burks makes his kill. Oh, I'm glad you brought up Traylon Burks because now we'll give you my Jordan Davis mock draft okay. update if you guys are <laughs> no. ready for this. Twenty most important Cardinals for oh, 2022. We finish this thing up mercifully with number one Jack Flaherty. Alex, where would Jack Flaherty be if we were doing this list today as opposed to when we did it, which was at the very beginning of spring training? Just full disclosure, we didn't know at the time that Jack Flaherty was going to be hurt. Would you still have him up here? I would because I think we, we know the offense is going to be great. And as I've been saying, I think the interchangeability, which is totally a word of Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, you can make the argument for all three of those guys at one point. But the number one factor for the team to be successful, which a success is a World Series championship, you got to have a number one ace. And I know we all love Adam Wainwright, but you need Jack Flaherty if you want to compete for a World Series this season. You look at the teams in the National League, the offenses you're going up against, you're going to have to have guys that you can rely upon. And Michaelis might be there. Matt's hopefully will be there. Dakota Hudson could be there. We all know Wainwright will be there. But none of those guys can match Jack Flaherty's potential when healthy. So injured or healthy, he is still my number one most important team player for this Cardinals team this season. See, I... I- I didn't have him at one originally on my list, and honestly, I probably would have dropped him down lower had I not. Tanner had him at number three. Alex and I both had Jack Flaherty at number one for what it's worth. Because last year, the Cardinals proved they can win without Jack Flaherty, and they did it in August. But you had to do it it with 18-game winning streak. I I get it, but the reason they did it back in September was because the offense really picked it up, and they had pitchers that they have now that pitch to contact. So they proved they can win without Jack Flaherty. Now, with that being said, I heard BT say once on the fast lane, this team can't win a World Series without Jack Flaherty being an ace and I agree with that so that's why I would still drop him down a little bit had I known about the injury but he wouldn't drop outside of my top 10 or maybe not even the top five but if you pluck out your number one guy who is Nolan Arenado it's going to be a hit but they can survive you take out Jack Flaherty you're talking about seasons that you're really wondering how this team's going to keep their head above water but I, I view it as the offense takes a much bigger hit without 
a Nolan Arnott or a pluck a Tyler O'Neill or a pluck a Paul Goldschmidt than what the pitching staff does with that, with a Jack Flaherty. But look, what, you're not replacing Jack Flaherty, but the Cardinals did an adequate job last year in being able to just fill the rotation with guys that are going to pitch to contact, play with the defense, and, and they were able to win without but him. But if you take Jack out and say he's out for the entirety of the season, and then you take Nolan Arenado out for the entirety of the season. Offense suffers more than what the pitching staff See, would. I, I think so you're in more thing, trouble. And I think this is an important factor as well. I think your defense also suffers and it makes your pitching that much worse without Nolan Arenado out there. And that's why I would probably go the Arenado side of things. I think you can make a case here, though, that the ceiling for the team, once you get into the playoffs, decreases in a greater degree without Flaherty than any other single player. And that's because if I go into a playoff series with Jack Flaherty going up against any other ace in the league, and that includes guys like Max Scherzer or Walker Buehler, I've got a chance to be able to match them. I'm not sure I feel that way with any other starter, and I understand Wayno's been unbelievable in this current Cardinals rotation. Jack Flaherty has wipeout stuff where he could finish a game ten, seven innings, ten strikeouts, two two hits, one earned run against the best offense in baseball, whether you believe that to be New York, L.A., whoever you think that is. Wayno just goes about it a little differently, and that doesn't mean he's a bad pitcher. It means he's, he's still a stud, man. Like, he, look at what he did on Thursday on opening day. But Jack is the ceiling. J- Jack is how you get to that ace-level stuff from your number one starter. I just looked this up. He had one really bad start in 2018 in which he allowed nine earned runs in three innings. Alex, if you remove that start, which was a weird one in and of itself, if you remove that start from the equation... Over the last four seasons, because I get so frustrated when people say he hasn't done anything. Over the last four years, he had 84 starts. He threw 463 innings, and he had a 3.05 ERA in that stretch. That one start in 2020, when he got shellacked, bumped up his ERA over a four-year stretch by 0.15. Jack Flaherty's been awesome when he's been healthy for the Cardinals. And if they get that version of him this year... They could have a really, really good rotation. Without him, though, all of us are looking at it saying to us, so to ourselves, it seems like they're one guy short. And I think Jack changes yeah, you, that for you, you. You just you can't go season by season and say, oh, well, we don't have the guy in our rotation, so we'll go get a Wade LeBlanc or a Jay Happ or a John Lester, and they'll solidify it. It was awesome for him last year. Don't get me wrong. You can't continue to do that. You can't keep finding guys and say, oh, well, we'll fill the void here. Sooner or later, it's going to hurt you, or you're not going to go deep into the postseason unless you have a guy like that. Yeah, and, and the biggest one for me is you need a guy like that that you have a kind of what you had last year with Wayno, where it's a Wayno win start. And that's kind of what it, that's what Jack Flaherty's when he's right. I mean, last year when he got hurt, he was 8-1. Uh, and one, But when he first got hurt against the L.A. Dodgers, he was that guy that you relied on. And you know every time you're going to get five to six innings out of him, and it's going to be solid innings. So you need a guy like that. And Adam Wainwright, look, he was awesome last year. Can he do it again this year? He got off to a great start, but that's where you'd like to see Jack Flaherty when he gets back and is healthy take that workhorse kind of mentality and be that ace because I agree with you this team can't win a World Series without Jack Flaherty because they need an ace in the rotation and right now I don't Wainwright's good I don't know if he's viewed as an ace though I think that's a totally fair way to look at it all right Let's go through this real quick. Kind of recapping our 20 most important Cardinals for the 2022 oh, great. season. Now I got to hear, I forgot Yachty again on this damn list. I wasn't going to say anything. Wasn't, but since you it was it an up, accident. 
our top 10. You guys tell me if there's any any takeaways from this, anything you would like to change now after we've seen both spring training and also the start of the regular season. You want to put Paul DeYoung at number one again? Our top 10 yeah. from one to 10. Jack Flaherty, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill is your top three. Goldie at four, Carlson five, Wayno at six, Matt's at seven, Bader at eight, and then we finished things out in our top ten with Tommy Edmond and Giovanni Gallegos. Does any one individual thing in that top ten stand out to you as being uh, you would change it now or something that stands out to you? Honestly, I don't think I would. I think that would be my top ten if I was doing this list over again. Maybe the D, maybe somebody in the DH would try and crack that top 10 but in all reality it can't if i don't know who that person is like if i could label the dh position as a most important player for 2022 then that might be top 10 but otherwise it's exactly as it was labeled right now see i think what would have changed for me is tommy evan would have slid out of the top 10 especially considering he had such a rough spring but also i got to put somewhat someone there in terms of the dh and i probably would have put dickerson into the top 10 because I still feel like he's going to get the most at-bats at the designated hitter spot because he's going to be hitting number five. And we talked about five through seven being that part of the lineup that we're going to be looking at this year. So he probably would have gotten into the top ten for me. I probably would have taken out Tommy Edmond. It would probably have been more of my back ten. That would have changed a lot because I know I would have put Pujols in there. Uh, I think I probably would have put in um, Jordan Hicks because I didn't have Hicks in my top 20 because I didn't think he was. I didn't know he was going to be a starter. So there would have been at least two or three changes I would have made to the back half of my list. Yeah, I I mean, one that immediately stands out, Edmundo Sosa is at number 16 on our list. I might drop him out of my top yeah, 20. I'm, I'm uh, like, Pujols would be in my top 20 over uh, Edmundo Sosa. Alex Reyes is at number 17. He's. I mean, we don't even know if we're going to see him at any point this year. He would be out of my top 20. Uh, Juan Yepes. Uh, R.I.P. Buddy. He he would not be in Whoa. my top twenty at this Why point are we in time. RIPing? We would replace he him a probably. Shot over the weekend. He yeah, did. Did you see Nolan Gorman? By the way, he was at number nineteen on this list. I would have him outside maybe um, as well. Oh. But he hit two home runs on Sunday, so may, maybe we'll see him eventually. I'd have Yachty in my top twenty-five. I could do the list over again. I think we were right on Yachty. I know that not it having took him on you the list? forgetting to put him on your list to get him there, but well, that was wrong. But Yadier Molina is at number fourteen on our list of the twenty most important Cardinals. I think you could make a case that we should have had him behind Paul DeYoung and right in that 15-16 type of a range in terms of the most important players for the Cardinals this year. I know that sounds strange to say about a future Hall of Famer, but when you guys watched this weekend, he is. He's not the same defensively as he once was. He's still a good player, and he's still important to be able to control the pitching staff, but. I think you're going to see more of Andrew Kisner this year, and his bat is just, it, it, it is it is not an impact bat, and it hasn't been really now for the last three years or so. So I, I think that we were about right with where we had him. If you were going to add in any one player to the back half of this top 20, based on what you've seen so far in spring training and so far in the first three games of the year, who do you think it would be? Who's the guy that would move up or down the most based on what you've seen so far? For, for me, I'll, I'll go ahead and yeah. put this out there first. Ryan Helsley. Ryan Helsley should have been on our list. Yeah, and... I was thinking about that, but I don't know. How, like, I don't know how impactful he will be. I feel like he's just as impactful as anybody in that bullpen. Like Gallegos was high up on that list because I feel like he was going to be the the guy that was used in every high leverage. I think he's going to be second on the team in closes or saves this year over Cabrera. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I think the yeah. guy for me probably would have been Paul DeYoung because I had him behind Sosa on my list. Uh, so my Same. DeYoung would have jumped up to me. He probably, I don't think he would have made the top 10, but he would have been sitting like 
11, 12. And that's probably the biggest jump, not including a guy that I didn't know was going to be on the team, like an Albert Pujols. Of course, he would have made a big jump into my top 20. Uh, I, did I have Kit? Remind me, did I have Kisner at 20 on my list? I know I thought about it. I don't remember if you I actually did. did. Yeah, you ended okay. up putting Kisner at 20. I feel pretty good about that one. Yeah, I think mine would probably have to be Paul DeYoung. Um, because I, I I think I had him a you had at fourteen. Was he below Edmundo Sosa? I had him for me? at eighteen. I was just flat out wrong on that. I had yeah. I had DeYoung way too low on my list. That's one thing that I would definitely change if I was going back and making this list today. I didn't yeah. have Jordan Hicks in my top twenty either. Uh, Alex was oh, the only one, one of the three of us. Yeah. Was, he See, that's why I definitely feel like, should have been top twenty. That's why I think he'll be above Ryan Helsley in this situation. Uh, definitely. In terms of impact. Where, where do you think he goes? Would he would I'd he be probably, more important for you guys than Hennessy Cabrera this year? Yeah. Jordan Hicks, yeah, especially now we that he's used as a rotation guy. right behind Dakota Hudson. I would I, say, I would say no, and the only reason I say that right now is because he's just not going to be a innings eater as a starter. And I view a guy that's going to be back into the bullpen more important than what Jordan Hicks is going to provide for right now. Do you guys agree with my assessment on Ryan Helsley? Do you where where do you think he ranks in terms of like the I, pecking order of this bullpen? I today? would have him fifteen twenty on this list if I were to rank him again. I, I would say right now in terms of bullpen pitchers, it's going to be Giovanni. It'll be Gallegos. I'd have Cabrera because he's going to be the high leverage lefty, and then I would have Ryan Helsley. See, I don't think I'd put Helsley on the list yet, and, and the reason is is because last year when we had three, I think we had three bullpen guys in at the time. It was it was pretty clear. Okay, Gallegos Cabrera are seventh and eighth inning guys. Reyes is the ninth. Mm-hmm. The only thing I know right now is Gallegos is the ninth. I'm pretty certain Cabrera is the seventh slash eighth inning guy. There's not really that other setup guy. Right now, I think it's a committee. I think it's Helsley. I think it's Whitley. I think it could be McFarlane. Until someone actually pulls away from that, then they'd make the list. And honestly, the Cardinals may never have that person this year. They may honestly just want to continue to rely on matchups and going to uh, like Helsley. Helsley's really good with inherited runners. Maybe that's when he comes into games in that scenario. So they may never separate each other, but that that's why I still wouldn't have him on the list. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyle. If you guys have any thoughts on the 20 most important Cardinals list for 2022, be sure to send those in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to get into the Cardinals bullpen. Where your trust level is with these guys so far this year. Yeah, it's the return of the illustrious segment that we love Let's here on BK. That's coming up at 1.30. Ville Huso, we got to talk about the X Factor for the Blues once they get into the playoffs next year on 101 ESPN. The 2-2. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right hook to the chin. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So that Billy Huso, he's pretty good. Oh, yeah? We're not going to talk about Bennington stopping those shots against the New York Islanders. It's my New York accent. Do you trust Philly Huso in the playoffs? You know, BK, it's hard to trust somebody if they've never done it. You know, like I I wouldn't trust you to grill me a nice steak on a barbecue pit because you you don't know how to do it. Now, if you ask me to change your tire, that would be a little problematic. But if you want me to grill, you know I got you. I wouldn't trust T-Bone if I was in a two-on-two basketball tournament to be my partner in crime in that. I would trust you over Alex for what it's worth, Tanner. Yeah, Yeah, you wish you were a baller. No, I mean, 
the playoffs are just such a... You a, don't sound like you trust Philly Huso. It's not that I don't trust them. It's just that they're a different entity. And the one thing... It's not I, It's not that I don't trust him in the playoffs. I just don't know what he's like with this much seasoning under his belt. Because he's never played this deep into the season before. Injuries have popped up. Or the AHL teams have been out of the playoffs. Or there's been another guy that's taken over. I just haven't seen it at this time of the season. He's played in playoff-like games. The game against the Minnesota Wild, that was a huge performance by him. Even against the Calgary Flames, where he played the night after he was used against the Edmonton Oilers. Huge performance by him. But the playoffs are always a different animal, in my opinion. Even Jordan Bennington, I was a little skeptical about going into the playoffs in that first round against the Winnipeg Jets. Do I trust him? Yes. But I'm a little concerned going into it because it's just a different animal. Yeah, see, I I trust him almost full-heartedly right now um it it reminds me a little bit it's different of course because nothing is going to match what 2019 was for the blues but I feel kind of about Ville Husso right now the way that I felt about Jordan Bennington back in 2019 oh see he's not there yet for me because Bennington was I mean he was shut because he was shutting teams out left and right I mean, Jordan Bennington in 2019, I'm just going to go ahead and read you the stats, Alex. You tell me where where they're different, where they're at least significantly different. Uh, in that season, Jordan Bennington was 24-5. and five. So far this year, Ville Husso is 22-6-5. and five. Uh, In 2019, Jordan Bennington had a save percentage of 927. This year, Ville Husso has a save percentage of 924. Like, I just, they're their performances in the regular season was not all that dissimilar. Yes, of course. Now we have the benefit of hindsight and we saw Bennington was up for the challenge and he was outstanding. Once you got into the playoffs, I don't know how Ville Husso is going to react. I can't tell you that I do because we've never seen it, as you said, but I can only go on the information that I've got. And there's nothing that we have seen thus far that would indicate to me that Ville Husso is going to crumble under that kind of pressure. Because every time this year, he's responded in a big way. He has. And I mean, if the, he's my number one guy going into the playoffs. He's the guy that I'm playing in game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs in the first round against Minnesota, if that's the way it pans out. I'm just, I'm just skeptical of what the outcome is going to be because, like I said, the playoffs are just a different entity. And it's it's tough for goaltenders to live up to that challenge going into it. But you're right. Ville Husso has done everything to prove that he can handle this workload, especially for how many games he's played 10 of the last 11 games before they gave him that night off against the New York Islanders. And he's been thrusted into a lot of uh, situations that you would have expected him to be playing. And in terms of Bennington getting pulled and Husso coming in and then playing the next night. So he's done everything he needs to do to prove to you. It's just you want to see it on the big stage rather than talk about the regular season going into the playoffs. For what it's worth, going into the postseason in 2019, here's what Jordan Bennington did in the final his final 12 starts for him. He had a 913 save percentage, and in that stretch, he was giving up about 2.3 goals on average per game. Right now, Ville Husso this month has a 931 save percentage. He's giving up 2.3 goals on average against per game. If he can sustain this, if he can continue doing this down the stretch, he will basically be going into the playoffs having a better or at least similar type of a save percentage and goals against on average as Jordan Bennington did back in 2019. That's all I need. I just need him when they go up against Boston tomorrow night and then when they play against Minnesota once again on Saturday and then again next week against Boston. Those are the types of games I need him to step up. 
Uh, I don't really much care what it looks like against Buffalo, for example. That's not going to indicate to me what he's going to be like in the playoffs. I want to see him do it, as we saw on Friday night against Minnesota, against those top contenders, the types of teams that he's going to see in the playoffs. Can, can I give you one example of why I'm a little he- hesitant with this one? And it's Roman Turek. Ro- and, and these are different scenarios, I understand, but Roman Turek in the two thousand or in the nineteen ninety nine two thousand season, forty two fifteen and nine had a one point nine five goals against average and seven shutouts. He went into the playoffs at a three and four record that season and a two point seven five goals against with an eight eighty two save percentage. Yeah, he, he had no playoff experience up to that point. Yeah, and and, and if Ville Husso ends up failing. Then sure, we'll go off of that. But you said you trusted Jordan Bennington going into the playoffs in 2019, right? I, I didn't. He was your best option, if that makes sense. I, it's not that I was sitting here going, "Oh man, this guy's going to run away with it." I thought he was going to have problems with the Winnipeg Jets. It was after that first game that I'm like, "Oh damn, he's here to play." That's because remember they won the first two games and then they lost the second or the the games three and games four and they lost it decidedly in those games. Like I think the one game Patrick Line had a hat trick or four goals against the Blues. So throughout that playoff series, I'm like, oh boy, this is not going to be pretty for Jordan Bennington. But the way he responded in those games, that's when you started to believe in it. So like after games one and games two, yeah, I started believing. But going into it, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. So that's interesting. Let's go down a a scenario here. If the Blues end up losing game one against the Minnesota Wild, and I know we're we're a little ways away from this, but I'm just curious. If they end up losing game one against the Wild, like four to three, and Ville Husso has a fine game, but it ain't great. Are you going to be pretty nervous at that point about what Ville Husso is going to look like the rest of that series? A little bit. Interesting. A little bit. If they, if, if he's got to steal a game for me in a playoff series for me to feel like that, oh, okay, this team's here to play. Because here's what I can tell you will not happen. Blues aren't going to be winning games in the playoffs six to four or, or seven to three or five to two. What about four to two and four to three? Because I think that's the way that this team needs to win. That's exactly what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be like they played against Minnesota in that overtime game. And if I get a Ville Husso performance like that, I'm buying in. I'm buying all the way in with Ville Husso. But if there's a game that goes lopsided, yeah, I'm going to get a little skeptical with it. I'm not going to be sitting here going, go to Jordan Bennington, because Ville Husso earned the right to play to play in that playoff series. The only way I go to Jordan Bennington in a playoff series is if like you had in the bubble against the Vancouver Canucks, where you lost three games in a row, and was the reason why. And you said, we got to win a game, and you put Jake Allen, and they win that game. That's where I go away from Ville Husso. But, I mean, to be honest, yeah, if he has a tough outing, I'm going to be a little skeptical of his performance there. We'll get out of here on this. Alex, question for you. Tomorrow night, you're going to go to Ville Husso. He's going to get the start against Boston. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't. Would you consider going to Jordan Bennington coming off of that performance against New York at Buffalo? Honestly, I would flip that. I would consider going Bennington against Boston and then putting Husso in against Buffalo. I, I need my best guy going up against the best opponent, right? I, I get it, but I also I also feel like I'd try and build off of something with Jordan but Bennington. But I don't care about Jordan Bennington getting built up again. He's not going to start for me in the in the playoffs. I understand that, but you got him six years. Yeah, I'll, I'll worry about that next year. I'll I just, worry about that in the offseason. I just feel like like you've done with Ville Husso, you build off of momentum, and he had a really good game against the Islanders. But Ville Husso also had a really b- big game, and you need him against the best teams down the stretch. I, I would go... It's different. We, we just disagree on it. I would go Husso against Boston and certainly against Minnesota again on Saturday night. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go Husso the next it, three and then Bennington on if Sunday. If I'm going to play Ville Husso in Boston, I'm going to play him against Buffalo. 
because that's a playoff schedule. Boston, day off. Buffalo, day off. Come home, play Minnesota for an afternoon game. That's a playoff schedule. If Huso's my guy, I'm playing him in Boston. I'm playing him in Buffalo. I'm playing him against Minnesota. If if Huso's my guy, which we all can agree he is, mm-hmm. Bennington's only playing in back-to-back games. It's the only time he's playing. Only reason I even brought it up, because I tend to be with you on that, is just to get him a little extra rest because you're not right now in a situation where, at least as of today, this could change if they end up dropping a bunch of games. As of now, you are seven points ahead of Nashville in the standings. It's looking likely, and knock on wood, hopefully this isn't a BKO, you're not going to have to worry about the wild card scenario. Oh, my God. And if you can continue building on this, you don't have to worry about that wild card. It would allow you to get Huso a little built-in rests down the stretch here. If you rested him against Buffalo and then Nashville, you've got the back-to-back there. It means he's just playing fewer games down the stretch, so that way he's hopefully a little more fresh going into the playoffs. But because but of what I understand, if you don't want, to but do because that. of what we've talked about with the inexperience, this lead deep into a season, I don't know if I'm worried about rest. I'm gonna let the guy go and just see what he can do because there's no rest in the playoffs. If you want to go win a Stanley Cup, it's game day off, game day off, game day off. Coming up in no, about 15 off. minutes or so, no, we'll get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. Blues back in action tomorrow night, a game you'll hear right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. It's an early start. Alex has your pregame coverage tomorrow at 5. Blues versus the Bruins tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Coming up next, we're getting into the Cardinals bullpen circle of trust for the first time in 2022. That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. PK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling. impressed by from the Cardinals this weekend. It was the offense, let's be honest. <laughs> Secondarily, though, the bullpen was us? quite impress- impressive with the way that they were able to respond after Miles Michaelis's rough start on Saturday, and then yesterday, they held it down pretty well, all things considered, against the Pirates after Steven Match struggled going into the third, and then again in the fourth. Let's get into, Alex, one of our favorite things here on BK and Ferrario. Might be my it is officially time. Oh, you're not a fan of the T-Bone 3? Oh, that's true. That's number I one. I caught him. No, I caught him. He doesn't the Cardinals like bullpen three. circle of trust. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Tell me who do you trust? It's the Cardinals circle of trust with BK and Ferrario. All right. Here's the deal, T-Bone. You can't put 14 guys in the damn circle of trust. Now, if you're new to this... We're not going down to Memphis. Got it. You guys know I'm a big numbers nerd. How big? I'm all about the expected stats and the BABIPs and the FIPs the, and the on. wars. The and the, those aren't a thing. BABIP? That's what my daughter says at home. Batting average on balls in play, my man. She's ahead of the curve. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't teach analytics in my house. However, the circle of trust is completely different. What this means is when that pitcher comes into the game, you trust they're going to get the job done. It's not about the numbers. It's about the feel, the feel and the pit of your stomach when they come in. Do you believe they're going to get it done or do you not? If you do, they deserve to be in the circle of trust. If you don't, well, they can't be in this. So, Alex, I'm going to throw out three guys that I think or two guys rather that I think we can all agree upon that should be the first players to be honorary into members. The Cardinals circle of trust. Okay. Giovanni Gallegos is number one, one of the best relievers in baseball over the last two years now. 
My second one that I would throw in that I believe should be an inaugural member of the 2022 circle of trust is TJ McFarland. I think what we saw from TJ McFarland last year and what we've seen from him so far this year is that he should be one of the first two members in the Cardinals bullpen circle of trust. Man, great minds think of like, because I had two names ready to go. And I was, I, I thought I was going to get the <gasps> moment for our circle of trust. I had TJ McFarland as going in with Giovanni Gallegos because I thought this guy has been as locked in as anybody since he's been a Cardinal. Yeah. And I do not get the irritable bowel movements when he steps into the mound. Onto and the for mound. you, that's impressive. I'm telling you, man, because last season it was like I was going to the bathroom every sixth, seventh, and eighth inning because I was always worried. So those were the two. And then I would throw in the third one. We had Katie Wu uh, vote one in during our hit at 1130, which you could check out on the podcast afterwards, 101ESPN.com. Before we do that, Tanner, do you agree with those first two, Giovanni Gallegos and TJ McFarland? I agree with those two. I, I will vote those guys in because they don't give me tight butt cheeks. Whoa, did I say that? Yeah. Did I really? Yes. Well, props to me, man. Congratulations to Gio and to Tej. You are our first no, two not, members no. of the Cardinals not, Circle of we're Trust. We're not doing nicknames hey, for the Circle Teach of is Trust. is on the gram, I saw. He is. So is Joey Votto on TikTok. Have you seen Joey Votto's videos? Uh, he can't be in Circle of Trust. No, he can't be in Circle of Trust. By Guys, the way, TJ McFarland was talking about this yesterday once again. out in uh, induct somebody, man. <laughs> Keep interrupting. Out at the, uh, the Cardinals availability. He would like you to follow him on Instagram. What's his Instagram account, BK? What's the gram? Yeah, what's his gram? What's have his to gram app now? What's the gram app? I'll get it for you after you nominate your next on, guy. Man. All right, Come let me on, tell man. you what I. No, no, damn it! Ryan Helsley's going into the circle of trust. Whoop, whoop. He gave me irritable bowel syndrome last season a lot. T Bone threw him in, and I'm like, stop being so damn loose Tight with our circle cheese. of trust. That's right. He doesn't give me those anymore. Ryan Helsley. I'm confident when he is on the mound, he looks like he has grown as a major league player. So, guys, I would like to induct Ryan Helsley into our circle of trust. I will support the Ryan Helsley movement. Still really good with inherited runners, as he proved this weekend, and his stuff looked filthy. So I'm going to support the Ryan Helsley. She will die on that hill, and I think I might join her on that hill. He looks amazing. You're you're late on the hill, by the way. Four strikeouts and two and a third so far. I think he's going to finish second on the team. And saves this year. That's like a T-bone three thing and pools is going to be at the all-star game. Talking with Skip before the game yesterday, I asked him what he saw from Ryan Helsley. And he said he's a guy that on most other teams around the league would probably be a closer. So I I think that they really trust him. And I'm going to say that I trust him as well. That is your third member of the Cardinals circle of trust. I'm the only one clapping right now. I I got two more to nominate. Are there any others that you want to throw in? (laughs) Yeah. You got two more? Yeah, I got two more. This is awful. Of course you do. By the way, TJ McFarland is T.J. Underscore Mac 62. That is way too many dots and underscores. We got to talk to him. It's just got to be TJ. No dots there in an underscore Mac 62. It just needs to say TJ Mac. Tough to remember. Just needs to be TJ Mac. All right, so that, give him a follow on Instagram. He's got to get his, his followers up. He's at 1,400 right now. Dang, I wish I had 1,400. Uh, but the other two we got nominated, guys, they were both in the circle of trends heading into the postseason last year. It's Hennessy Cabrera and it's Cody Whitley. Ooh, I, I got to push back on Hennessy Cabrera. I, I got, I've, I've had the tight butt cheeks moments watching him pitch. It's been one game. I understand, but that one game gave me the tight cheeks. I can't put him in right now. Can't go in. This is ridiculous. His his command is concerning. The velocity is not where it was to start it was last cold. year. 
And I feel like they're using him differently than what they did before. Give me time. Allow me to adjust. If he gets back to the guy that he was, it's going to take very little time for him to get back into our cardinal circle of trust. And Cody Whitley. I can't do it right now, though. Cody Whitley has pitched a total of 68 games with the Cardinals. That's plenty. How many has Mm. TJ McFarland pitched in? Like 35? I'm fine with TJ McFarland, though. I no, he's not Whitley going in. He looked yet. really good over the week. He's not going in yet. I'm sorry. Gave up a walk. Can't get in with vote a walk. Vote him in, BK. Come on, give me the support. Let's vote in Cody Whitley. He was there last year. You can't year. put him in if you're he still looks nervous just about as good. him. I'm not nervous about Cody Whitley. Get out of here. Yes, I you feel are. good when Cody Whitley comes no into way. the game. I feel like he's going to no get the way. job done. All right. I just want everyone to remember this that I pushed back on I this. I just one. want everybody to remember Ferrario voted in Tyler Webb last year. He, which was which, a terrible decision. At the beginning of the season, he was unstoppable. So wait, do we get Cody Whitley in? Cody Whitley, congratulations. You've entered the circle of trust. Bull. Bulloni. Can I throw one more out no. there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bulloni. Palante? I know it was a Aaron rough first Brooks outing, in. but. Nope. Nope. Is it, is it uh, Nick He's gonna throw Whitgren. Whitgren? Get out of here. You're Can't not putting Whitgren in. He's pitched once for the Cardinals. Twice. Twice. Can I nominate Nick Whitgren to be a member of the Cardinals bullpen circle of trust. No, he's pitched twice for the team. You can't tell me you're confident watching it twice. Especially when you're not voting in Hennessy's career, yeah. damn it. Yeah, but Hennessy's career didn't look good. Nick Wigrid did. He, he, looked right, he looked like right-handed version of TJ McFarland. Well, that's great, but give me about 10 or 15 games before I vote you into my circle of trust. I, I don't need it. I think I'm ready this to is, throw Nick Whitgren into the Cardinals bullpen circle of trust right now. This is how we fell, T-Bone. This is how we fell for the Ty- Tyler Webb. But Tyler Webb was not a real prospect. He was we not. We didn't a, see much of him, but we were like, oh, well, he looks good. We Nick put him Whitgren in. Nick Whitgren has a track record of success. Yes, he does. I shall therefore vote in this, Nick Whitgren. Yes! This is yes, bull! We did it! This is bull! You guys cannot be voting this many Nick people Whitgren. in! That's it for this me. This is ridiculous. So we have five members of the... Can we bring up Jake Walsh? Oh, my God. Inaugural... Oh. No. Inaugural members of the Cardinals Circle of Trust. T-Bone just voted Whitgren in because he he wanted me to be upset. That was a personal vote. I I asked to bring a outside source to right, help us decide on that. off the board. Giovanni Gallegos, Ryan Helsley, TJ McFarland, no doubters. All three clear-cut nominees all three easily first ballot as soon as cody whitley starts to blow it up i'm gonna pull that cut and make cody sure whitley got it. in with two out of three this is basically like voting in albert pujols into the hall of fame with one guy saying that he's abstaining it's ridiculous yeah true and nick whitgren has also made it in to the cardinal circle of trust you guys start are, out you guys are so loose with the circle and by of the trust way invites. i just want to point out here from the 314 sounds like you guys tries to hold dang bullpen uh this bullpen has the fourth best era from in the 636 right weight greens arm action is so hot whoa i like weight greens rewind too. next we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Alex 
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can find it at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Alex, the Cardinals are off today. They were supposed to be playing right now. And if they were, we'd probably see the Cardinals already up three to nothing, something like that, because of the way that the top four in the order has played thus far. In the first three games of the season, Carlson, Goldie, O'Neal, and Arenado are a combined 15 for 40 at the plate. Carlson has two doubles. Goldie has already five walks on the season. O'Neal has a homer. He has more walks so far than strikeouts, which is a really encouraging sign for the way that he's seeing the ball. And the most impressive of all of them has been Nolan Arenado, who's batting 500 right now with three doubles and a couple home runs. And he's the first guy with multiple RBIs in three straight games to start the season as a Cardinal since Big Mac did it in 1998. This is what I was hoping we would see from the Cardinals early on offensively in the season. Has it lived up to your expectations? It absolutely has. Uh, I mean, watching Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado as that one-two punch in the middle of your batting order has just been, I mean, it's exceeded expectations, especially with Arenado looking like an MVP and you had four damn walks from Paul Goldschmidt in his first game. And and then Tyler O'Neill with Dylan Carlson. I mean, that could be one of the most dangerous one-through-fours in the National League this season. Yeah, the offense has lived up to my expectations as well. That one through four has been really good. I, I think I know Paul DeYoung's numbers are down. I know he's hitting 200, but I think he's looked really good. Plus, he's playing solid defense as well. So right now, the offense is where it is. The only concern is the DH spot, and honestly, I'm not too concerned about it. So the offense has lived up to my expectations. Yeah, the two things that have been underwhelming to me, the two spots in the order that have been underwhelming so, uh, underwhelming so far this year are the DH Pulse, though, was pretty good on opening day. He just didn't have the results. He he looked good, though. The process was there. I haven't really seen a ton from Corey Dickerson so far, but it's, it's two games. You're not going to make any sort of uh, grand sweeping thoughts based on that. And then the other one is Yachty, who just doesn't quite look all the way there, which is probably to be expected given his shortened spring training, even compared to all of the other guys. Those are the only two spots in the lineup that I'm not really seeing a ton out of so far. Everybody else has shown me something early on. And the one thing we know about Yachty is at this time of the year when he gets going, I mean, I remember having this conversation at Bush Stadium on opening day a couple of years ago where, I mean, the guy just, he started spring training on a, on a hot pace and then he just continued into the regular season, at least for the first month. So Yachty will get there for a little bit. I hope we see a little bit more of Albert Pujols in the DH spot, especially for that opening day. But you're right. I mean, if there was one concern right now, it's the DH. DH, which I get it, it's three games, but against Pittsburgh, I wanted to see a little bit more from that DH position. Yeah, and the rest of the league has also had their issues. All the the DHs as a whole in Major League Baseball so far to start the season are hitting under 200. So it's not just a Cardinals issue. This is a Major League Baseball Pitches issue. Right would now. be better. I'm sure Kyle Schwarber has helped that curve, though, to get to 200. Tomorrow, we will uh, be back at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane has you covered from 2 to 6, live from the MAC. Lots of good stuff from them coming up from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. The Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right hook to the chin. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety minded who watch everyone's backs Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.